Welcome back to the Monolith Film Podcast. As always, I am your co-host, Lee Byrne. Joining me is... Nick Hill. How's it going, Nick? I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, it's kind of fun uh, getting on Zoom after the live episode we did. That was a blast. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, uh, I, for a lot of people, that might be kind of weird because of the whole quarantine thing. Uh, but where we are in the world, according to the government, we're safe. So that was... Totally kosher, as they say. The Bangladeshi government here has been very kind, <laughs> and we're doing good. We're in yeah, yeah right on. <laughs> right on. Um, today, we will be doing Blue Velvet by David Lynch. Came out in 86. Mm-hmm. Also, a fun first video podcast. Yeah, we're trying something new here, so bear with us. This is uh, the, the episode with the kinks and not yeah. just the whipsy. If, um, if there is no video, that means it didn't work. Don't worry about it. If there is a video, well, make sure to be watching it on YouTube. I'm gonna, I'll cut this part out if the video doesn't work. Okay, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> I'm going to have to leave it in now no matter what, though. Uh, you want to you wanna give the viewers a quick one-two rundown about uh, the movie? Yeah, sure. Um, Maybe 15 minutes for a summary or a quicker one? I'll give him a quick half hour. Okay, no problem. Then. <laughs> uh, I think this is David Lynch's fourth movie, fourth feature. Uh, yeah, because he did Dune and Elephant Man in between this and Eraserhead. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we're skipping a little in the timeline. But in my opinion, we're not skipping much. And uh, we're kind of seeing the tail end of that. This is um, kind of Lynch trying to be more personal, maybe being a bit more back to a racer head, but still having the baggage of those last two kind of big movies. Dune being a big failure too. But yeah. uh, this is like a neo-noir, a kid finds an ear in a field and he wants to uh, investigate and it takes him on all kinds of crazy turns. We get Dennis Hopper later, that's fun. Oh yeah, Dennis Hopper is absolutely. There's one word to describe him in this movie. It is fun <laughs> and horny. <laughs> <laughs> That's like fucking everyone in this movie, though. <laughs> this is such a horny movie, man. Love rules, dude. He's so good. <laughs> By far the best part of this movie. This is his career comeback too. After this movie, I mean, what 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 was he known for? What is Dennis Hopper known for before Ooh. this? I'd say like early sixties, he was like a big, like Hollywood guy. He was an actor. Cause I know his name, mm-hmm. but I don't know much about like him as an actor. I would say like early sixties, mid sixties, he was a pretty popular, just kind of like leading man. Well, I fucking wrote that wrong. That's embarrassing. Demas Hopper. <laughs> Um, and then like he one made, end, two ends. I put two yeah. eyes. Jesus Christ. There you go. And, uh, he made, uh, like one of the biggest cult movies there. Easy rider. Okay. Well, this isn't the proper list. Mm-hmm. Those are the movies he's directed. I think there. Yeah. All director lists here. Yeah. But, uh, he was a big actor before and then he made, um, Oh, he was in apocalypse now. Yeah, he's the photographer in Apocalypse. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Heart of Darkness, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was on the other side of the wind? 
he's one of the guys at one of the parties. I think he talks for like a minute. He's got a camera. Oh, okay. He's like, he's not that big in it. No, it's like, okay. you know, they're kind of going through the party and they have all those kind of cameos through it. He's one of the cameos. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Um, rebel without a cause though. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I think that might be his most well-known apart from rumble. apocalypse now. He's good in rumble sir. But Apocalypse Now is is afterwards. This is his. That's his comeback later because he had a big, like oh, yeah, yeah, easy rider, and that was like a con uh, Palm Door winner. Uh, I don't know if it won at that. Or it won at. Um, that was in '69, though. I mean, yeah. Rebel Without a Cause is '55, and like yeah. I've been hearing about that movie for years. But that, that's more James Dean too. That's the. Oh yeah, you're right. Thing. But yeah. uh, he was. Um, he was like the main guy. He was the kind of Hollywood rebel guy. You know, he had long hair. He's the fucking hippie dude. Right. He made the other movie or uh, the last movie. And that's the one that was never released because it was so terrible, which I have on order somewhere in the mail now. It should hey. be two weeks ago. We'll hit that up. But uh, that was supposed to be a terrible movie, never released because it was so bad. And that ruined his career for like 10 years. Really? Probably. How bad do you think it really was? Do you believe them? I can't wait to find out. I'll tell you that much. Because I watched the trailer and it looks like it rocks. Mm. But uh, maybe the trailer's better than it. That's like the Prometheus effect where the trailer rocks, but the movie's right. garbage. Yep, we've been there. I mean, I, I'm seeing Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 here. That's right up my alley. Yeah, dude, he rules. You gotta That's what I'm talking that. about. He's, he's, he's one of the hillbillies, right? I believe he's like the one the father or something. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he is. I think I remember that. Uh, I think at the dining table scene or something, he's like the main dude. Okay. I think I'm all right. Well, right. rock and roll. Dennis Hopper rules. Yeah. We can all agree. Yeah, and th- this was the start of his return to uh, being a cool dude. Okay. Still a wacko though. Still. Crazy. I mean, I don't know if I'd call his character Frank in this that cool. But I mean, it's a better than what he was doing before. I don't know if you want to look it up, but he did the live-action Mario Bros. movie, and he. Was, oh, I've seen that. That is Bowser dog shit. That one. Yeah, he's Bowser. Is he? No, yeah. I don't remember. I think I uh, repressed that movie. Please leave it repressed. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking bad, dude. Yeah. Yeah. But back to Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet. This so this is the second Lynch movie we're doing out of our little Lynch chapter. Yeah, I uh, I feel very happy every time we do one of these movies that kind of goes in one of the, the playlists. Yeah, me too, yeah. Another special episode with that live one. Ooh, it's fun. Oh, yeah. the, the I think, especially after our, our extended break, we're definitely spoiling our guests here. Oh, uh, we're going to kick it. Why do you think we were on break for something. <laughs> Lots of planning to do, that's why. Professional cameras, everything. I'm set up with 20 mics here. We're good to go. Only? Only 20? Wow. I was expecting more from you, Nicholas. I had to budget a bit, you know, in these times. <laughs> um, this was your first time watching it for the uh, podcast? Yes. I watched it the first time, took a bunch of notes, yeah. and then today before recording, I did a bit of research and watched it again. Okay. But full disclosure, I watched it at twice the speed. You can't be faulted for that, I don't think. Um, it is long. It's yeah. two hours. <laughs> and I remember explicitly thinking the first time I watched it, yeah. wow, this is long and honestly pretty boring. You didn't like it to start with. No, the first time I saw it, I was pretty bored. 
Oh, really? Yeah, I really have a problem with the pacing in this movie. Okay, you find it too slow or the scenes drag a bit? Too much back and forth. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the problem, for me at least. Um, The movie, it goes between uh, Jeffrey, the main character, in the crime world, investigating Frank. Yeah, that's and then he comes back to, uh, what's that girl's name? Um, She's played by Laura Dern, right? Yeah. That's Kyle MacLachlan, who's uh, Jeff? Yeah. Is that his yeah. name? Jeffrey? Yeah, yeah. Jeffrey, yeah. Jeffrey uh, Belvedere? Bo Bov- something? Yeah, I think it's Belvedere. Belvedere, there you go. Dorothy. Dorothy is the Blue Velvet girl. She's the singer. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. That's... Uh, the girl's name, Laura we'll Dern. It, we'll just call it Laura Dern. There you go. Laura Dern's character. So he goes back every now and then mm-hmm. and like kind of catches Laura Dern's character up. Yeah. And I felt like every time he did that, it kind of just broke the story. Well, it's like, it's supposed, it, you, when you see it, you're thinking that it's like a mystery, neo-noir mm-hmm. thing. But then you yeah. have, like there's always supposed to be a romantic layer. But it's almost right. like this movie has doubled the romantic layer. They're, like there's the femme fatale and there's the girl next door. Yeah. Normally and one or the other. I also, I understand the whole division between night and day. Yeah. But at the same time, I felt like making that division so explicit and repeating it so often hurt the pacing of the film in the long run. And I, I don't think it comes to to anything really in the end. Like right. the only point of the affair between Kyle McLaughlin and Dorothy, um, it's, it's just that one shot, like four fifths of the way through where she comes on his lawn naked and you go, Oh shit, I feel bad for Laura Dern. And that, that's the one moment. Yeah. That anything right. She just gets her kid after. Yeah. Where is that? Let's find that. Are we allowed to show uh, some Rossellini boobies on here? I mean, we're not. Worst case, we'll get age restricted, but we're not. Uh, we're not monetizing this yet. So there yeah. she is. Yeah. That's the key word. Yeah. This uh, this scene, I didn't really find that twisty. I th- I thought this was kind of pointless. Having the boyfriend chase them down and everything. Yeah, but I mean, I'll. The, the boyfriend seemed almost secondary. Like there's a weird shot of him kind of in the football field. Like yeah. Lens watching him. And it's kind of like, I don't know, that, that looks like it was filmed a month later when the producer said, oh, we got to see the boyfriend kind of thing. Right. Yeah, I feel that. There she is. Yeah, coming out naked. What's yeah. that, mom? <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, pause right there so we don't see anything too explicit, just so the video doesn't get taken down. Um, you were talking about the back and forth being boring. I quite yeah. We're going to talk about directing, I'm sure, in it. But I mean, the way the back and forths were kind of like the sequence of the back and forths, they were moved around a bit. It wasn't the same formula over and over again. There was some diversity. There's some fun stuff in them. The one I'm thinking in particular is kind of like when you're coming into a car, getting out of a car maybe you'd sh- the way you'd think someone would shoot it would maybe through one window, through the other side of the window, then a wide shot, they both get out and then an over the shoulder or something. Right. You would kind of, I 
think he does it one way and then the complete reverse in another scene, like the reverse camera movement. The same thing. I think, uh, are you talking about when they break into Dorothy's apartment for the first time? I don't remember exactly. I think, I think, yeah. I think Lynch does that there too. Yeah. You start in like a, like a two shot inside the car and then it kind of jibs up, cranes up. Yeah. I think this is, yeah. Sure. Yeah. This scene. Exactly. Yeah. So you'd start yeah. in this kind of two shot in the car, but then you move backwards as the characters get out. And it's nice that it's one camera movement and you're not yeah. the nonsense over the shoulder angles that are fucking ugly and stupid. He's at least, yeah. and even the diner scene, there's some dollies, but then there is some stupid over the shoulder back and forth, but it's hard to do dialogue without the over the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Like it, that, that stuff is kind of just filler at a certain point I find. But you can find people that they'll do it right, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You can always mix something up, go to some yeah. crazy close-up of the guy's spoon or something. Do flavor it up. And put some pepper on that. I think my, my, my like, I think the reason I, I dislike the pacing so much mm-hmm. in this film is because of how different it is from Eraserhead. Yeah. Like Eraserhead is just one nice, slow and steady burn mm-hmm. all the way through. Eraserhead is, it's, it's in that surreal world though, where you can keep yeah. one. Oh no. I think he, he's trying to build some kind of, this is the crazy part. Here's the romantic part. But I mm-hmm. think there's twice too much romance than there should be in this movie. Yeah. And, and I think a big part of this movie is, uh, subverting expectations yeah. and like presenting the audience with something on the f- surface mm-hmm. and then uh showing something deeper right That's so like you said before there's like the girl next door and then there's the femme fatale yeah i think the point of having them both is showing that they're they're kind of two sides of the same coin mm-hmm. i mean even uh like at one point frank played by dennis hopper tells jeffrey Right. He's like, you and I are the same or you're just like me or whatever he says. Yeah. And I think to a certain point, he's right. Mm-hmm. I think the, the whole point of the movie is like exploring what I said before, the, the two sides of the same coin. Yeah. I think he's trying to show like everybody's got a little bit of everybody in this movie, you know? Yeah. I was just saying, I wish there were less Franks in this world and more Robins right. or something. I hate that so much. That was so stupid. The, the whole Robin thing? Yeah, I mean, the, the little, I don't know if it was animatronic or something, but oh yeah, the little bird was fun. But I mean, it, like a noir is supposed to be a tragedy. Like the detective is supposed to get beat up, yes. he's supposed to die, and then he goes, ah, that's life, and he has a cigarette and walks down the street or something. Yeah, I definitely do not like the ending. No, the ending is pretty, uh, that's more the kind of Hollywood ending kind of thing that's trailing off from those past two movies that we skipped. Yeah, I think so too. Because it's it's definitely a happy ending, right? He ends up with the nice girl who yeah. we're seeing on screen right now. Yeah, played by Laura Dern, you know, and everything everything ends up okay. Mm-hmm. And Frank is dead. Yeah, Yellow Man is dead. The cops do yeah. everything, and uh, uh, yeah. Rosalina gets her son back. From a because this movie has been analyzed uh psychoanalytically pretty often 
Yeah, especially in Freudian terms. And we talked about this in Eraserhead as well, because uh, Lynch, at least in the two movies we've covered, has had a lot of uh, both sexually implicit and explicit content. Mm-hmm. And he, he undoubtedly deals with the subconscious. So it's hard not to talk about Freud. And there's a big argument made that Jeffrey needed to kill Frank Mm -hmm. in order to relieve his subconscious of those darker desires. And that's why there's a happy ending. Yeah. But I find the happy ending is so happy that it undermines the entire story. Yeah. It would be so much more powerful if almost life went back to normal or something. Right. He goes back to college or some shit. And yeah. like nothing's changed. The boyfriend beats him up and his dad uh, yeah. was in the hospital and he goes, fuck, okay, well, still crap or something. Yeah, his dad being in the hospital, like I get we needed a reason for Jeffrey to come home. <laughs> but like, what the fuck, man? He visits his dad once and then at the beginning of the movie, he visits, he visits his dad in the hospital. Yeah. And at the end of the movie, his dad is fucking healthy again. Yeah. Well, like that, that was stupid. That's like the perfect bow tie ending, though. That's yeah, I guess. Fuck. Crafted here. Although I did appreciate. I don't know if you noticed. Uh, the dad has like what, like a heart attack, or like a what's it called when heart attack is when your heart artery clogs, and then yeah. I think his like brain artery clogs. Okay. It's a different. I don't know, is that a stroke? I don't know. Stroke. Yeah. Maybe he has something, but his uh, he's watering his yard. Yeah. And his hose gets tangled mm-hmm. and it cuts the flow of his hose and then his artery gets clogged and it cuts the flow of his blood right away. Yeah. I don't know if that was intentional, but I thought that was funny. It is funny, but I got a problem with that scene too, though. Oh, really? I don't know. Because we've kind of in like school, we watched that opening and it's like, oh, he's showing you the surface of the suburbs, this picturesque ideal place with. Yeah little box houses and kids walking across the street. Yeah. And then all oh, you go into the bugs in the earth and you find it. Right. And stuff. But, I mean, that, one of my main problems with this movie, especially compared to Eraserhead, is how obvious it is. Yeah. And like, like you're saying with this scene, it's like, here's the perfect suburbs, but here's what's underneath all that. And it's bugs and it's dirty and it's gross. Yeah. And yeah. Fog there, but, um, I, my issue always was with the dog jumping in the stream afterwards. I, that is a weird, and if you look, he's, like, it kind of looks like he's holding the, the hose like he's pissing in the dog's mouth. And it's slow-mo weird. Yeah, and the dog is, like, hey, we're gonna um, jumping right on his dick. Like, kudos to the actor for not flinching, but, like, he's right yeah. on his dong. Like, yeah, that slow-mo shot there, that also looked like it was just punched in, like zoomed in and slowed down. I don't think there was another camera any there. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. This is fun, this little effect here going into the grass. I I quite like this effect, though. Yeah, I I mean, at first it reminded me too much of A Bug's Life. That movie rules, though, dude. I wouldn't it. It does. But then I was like, you know what, that, that that was pretty cool. I prefer an ant's tail. <laughs> Said no one ever. <laughs> Is that with Sylvester Stallone? I'm not sure. I really hope so, though. That'd be funny. 
This I do like the Lumberton stuff and like all the wide shots of the diner. We get like the the, the wood. Stuff. Yeah, that's fun. I, I took so many notes. Yeah, like so much of my notes is just the word wood. Well, like you said in the last episode, he loves his wood, dude. He loves it. He loves wood. It's like I mean I get it. Like it's organic mm-hmm. and it's alive, but he's but digging just, in the aesthetic, the Pacific oh, yeah. look. You know, he, he's yeah. in that wood pine tree everything mm-hmm. kind of look i mean it does mesh well with this movie with like the whole american suburb american dream aesthetic yeah. the, the whole lumber industry is like a big part of that uh foundation so it makes sense yeah speaking of the kind of pacific northwest have you watched uh, twin peaks at all the show no i have it i have the whole i have the whole series i haven't watched any of it yet I mean, very similar to this movie here. And that's what I assume so. Because he made, I mean, Twin Peaks, he, he started the show right after this. Was that 91 or something, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, this was 86. So that makes sense. I mean, it usually does take him a while to make a movie, right? Uh, yeah. Because I know he made, what's the Nicolas Cage one? Um, Wild at Heart. Yeah, he made Wild at Heart. That's what we're going to watch next. And then he did the Twin Peaks movie, Firewalk With Me. Yeah. But he made Firewalk With Me as a prequel after the TV show, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen the movie. So Twin Peaks was in between this and Wild at Heart. Yeah. Let me just look up Wild at Heart then. Because I think Wild at Heart might have come in 91 then. Oh, yeah? Oh, no. Same year. 1990. And the show came out 1990. Oh, same year. Okay. Simultaneous. But Wild at Heart, you're going to see the romance fully cranked in. That's like a romance movie. Okay. But it's... It's a, a Lynch romance movie. Yeah. And with Nick Cage yeah. and Laura Dern and the acting's bad, but it's bad. So it's awesome. And it's fantastic. I like that movie quite a bit. I was... I'm... I, there's, a, there's, a, there's only a few movies where I like Nicolas Cage. But when I like him, I really fucking like him. Oh, I'm very and I hope, uh, especially in a Lynch movie, he'll do that justice. I mean, that's the only opportunity he had. He's been in a Herzog movie, and uh, it wasn't that fun. So, really, which one? Uh, Bad Lieutenant. Yeah, never heard of it. No, um, supposed to be completely method acting, like going crazy and ripping the whole scene, ripping the whole fucking set apart and everything. But uh, what were we talking about? Firewalk with me, right? Uh, or not Firewall with me, fucking Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Oh, same thing. Yeah, it's the, the exact same aesthetic and story and, well, not story exactly, but... Like, but it's it's like crime mystery stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In kind of supposed to be picturesque mountain town. Like, there's fun, there's nice fishermen and the, the lodge, the ski lodge, but then there's all these weird characters in town and a murder at this nice high school in the diner and you're going to see those like diner motifs, the tree motifs, everything comes back again. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, like we mentioned this when we talked about Eraserhead, even that David Lynch, like grew up in two completely different settings. Like he grew up in the suburbs first. Right. And then he moved into like the inner city and he experienced those two. I think it was vice versa. Oh yeah. Maybe. Okay. I think it was Philadelphia until he was 
like a teenager or something. And then he went to uh, Oregon, I think. Okay. Well, either way, he, he experienced those two opposites. And like this movie is like, we get a tiny bit of that in Eraserhead. There's some subtext about it. Yeah. But this movie is obviously about the falsehood of the American dream. But there, there's also a, a reverence for it. He, he does love it still. It's, it's highly, it, it's shown in a good light and he definitely he ends with it as the, the, right. the ending. Like, you still yeah. like the, the American. I mean, especially if we don't discredit the ending to him trying to please Hollywood. Yeah. Then for sure, it's, it's obvious that he uh, has at least some respect or admiration to that dream and he, he hopes to achieve it. The way I kind of understand the ending for the people listening at home, it's kind of an hour and a half of this kind of tense, long scene kind of things. Pretty dramatic. You know, there's some fucking edge of seat moments when he's in the hiding in the woman's closet and she finds him or when Frank's running up and stuff. But then the last maybe even 15 or 20 minutes is almost sped completely through in past tense. Uh, we we get little shots of the ending. Oh, and that's when this guy happened, and that's when this happened, and Jeff yeah. explains the ending of the story to you. Like, you could have went on another 45 minutes instead of 15, but I also think that's Lynch kind of trying to make a proper ending because he hadn't had a really, like, I don't believe he wrote Elephant Man, or not completely, but, like, up until then, none of his movies had been, like, big commercial successes mm -hmm. of his own writing yeah. directing is fantastic but something that he wrote himself he he had never tied a bow on anything yeah. nicely and this feels like him going okay a dune ending i need some kind of happy ending let's make something up yeah i know he before he made this movie he wrote a script entitled like ronnie rocket okay or something like that and it wouldn't sell no so he wrote this movie instead and it did sell. Yeah. And in interviews, people ask him like, oh, it's like, are you going to do Ronnie Rocket next? Like, are you finally going to be able to do it? Mm -hmm. And in interviews, he said, yeah, probably. But I mean, he's never done it. It could have morphed into something else, though. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, like in that same interview I'm referring to, they ask him where he got the idea for Blue Velvet. Yeah. And he's, he said like the first idea he had he pitched Ronnie Rocket and he got turned down. Okay. And the person he pitched it to asked him, like, do you have anything else? <laughs> anything at all. We'll anything at all. Anything else. Anything. And uh, he said he, he always wanted to hide in a closet mm -hmm. and spy on a woman at night. Okay. And then he sees something that turns into a clue for a murder mystery. So like that closet scene was yeah. the first thought Lynch had about this movie. Okay. I don't remember if we talked about it in the last Lynch episode, but I think his creative process is almost like, like through these like dreams or sudden ideas or yeah. thoughts. Yeah. Kind of piece them all together to make the story kind of thing. Yeah. But, he also does like, what is it like trans something meditation? Yeah. He, uh, he turns into a woman for 10 minutes and comes back. <laughs> uh, not quite. 
yeah, I mean, it feels kind of like there's a lot of stories going on. Like it might be too many blocks in the Lego set, but mm-hmm. uh, I quite enjoy the movie. I thought it was pretty fun. I like, I'm, I'm biased towards Dennis Hopper. So I, I enjoy it more than, uh, I don't know, Mario Bros or Ant-Man. <laughs> but, uh, I, I still, I still like this movie. I, I thought it was, it's long and it could get edited down, but I thought the, uh, like the composition of the, some of the shots I thought were fantastic. Oh, definitely. Visually, this movie is stunning from yeah. the back. I love the way it's always kind of somehow vignetted within the, the frame of the, the camera. Yeah, I know what you mean. There's a, there's a shot I'm thinking of now that you said that where, uh, it's the second time he goes to see Dorothy sing. Okay. Yeah. It's right here. It's before this, uh, he gets in his car. Yes. Yeah. The the frame of the car window. Like it's almost like everything's almost always framed pretty squarely. Yeah. Yeah. This camera movement I quite like. Yeah. This, I, I thought this scene was really cool, especially, uh, how smooth, the focus is it goes from uh just jack uh no jeffrey sorry it goes from jeffrey just sitting in his car mm-hmm. and the focus is on him and then it like slowly shifts the camera just a tiny bit and then shifts the focus to the door of the bar as dennis hopper's character frank walks out gang yeah his whole gang Here's another uh, singing sequence you can add to the Lynch repertoire. Yeah, there's the, the Blue Velvet song and the In Dreams in this movie. Both quite nice. I, I think I honestly preferred the In Dreams one. In uh, the Eraserhead? No, 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 in this one. In when, um, when they kidnap Jeffrey and they go to oh, this guy's house. What's his name? Uh, fuck! You're so suave. Yeah, exactly that uh, guy, the suave guy. Is it Ben? Yeah, and he starts. He's lip syncing. He's not actually singing. Yeah, singing. You are so fucking suave. Yeah, but yeah, he does. Uh, he does some song about in dreams, like in like in yeah. dreams. I we talk, we walk, or whatever it is. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, that scene. I don't want to spoil it, but that's by far, I think the best in the movie. I, re- I did really enjoy this. And even the next scene when he brings Jeffrey to the sawmill yeah, or the lumber mill or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, just threatens to fuck him pretty much. <laughs> I kisses mean, him on the kisses and puts some lipstick on oh, kisses him around the lips. I think this right here is my favorite shot in the whole movie. When we, uh, Shoot right into Dennis Hopper. Ooh, right before the right before the cut to nothing. Like they're all in the scene, and then he says, "Let's ride," and then it cuts, and they're out of the room already. This scene is so fucking cool. Yeah, I like that too. The suave scene. Yeah, especially with the fucking. They're all front lit. Yeah, the background's nice and dark. The other characters are there. It's very well composed. Look how fucking wide it is, and the lighting is awesome. Yeah. And we just shoot right into his face. It's very theatrical. Oh, fuck anything that moves. Oop. 
<laughs> this is another motif you're going to see in a lot of Lynch movies. The driving? Rolling down the highway and you see the kind of headlights on the, uh, the check. Yeah. Road. It's uh, very American. Oh, yeah. Just reminds me of uh, like American muscle cars, like that whole when they built the coast to coast highways and stuff like that. That whole idea of just hitting the open road. Well, this is kind of like, I think that would be the like American ideal, you know, like 1960. Well, like we were talking about last week with American graffiti, you know, where it's yeah. cruising with the boys. You're going to go talk to the girls at the arcade and have a, a milkshake and it's fun and great. And then the underbelly of Frank uh, shows up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, that's, I think the most like prominent, uh, <laughs> that's so funny when he puts the lipstick on it yeah <laughs> fucking inhaling fucking what is i guess it's just yeah. pure oxygen or it's nitrous that was uh dennis hopper's idea he said my character oh. is weird enough i need some i need a prop to be weirder and then nice. on set with that that's the, that's an, it's an interesting decision to go with fucking nitrous oxide <laughs> that's interesting because he could have just taken a bump every now and then yeah might just be pure oxygen He's living high on life. Yeah. I mean, that's even weirder. Wants to be a mountain climber. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think definitely like the, the most pertinent and obvious. Well, okay. There's maybe one analysis that's more obvious. The most obvious, the one that stood out the most to me was the, uh, the subversion of the American dream. Yeah. Like it opens with the white picket fence and the perfect red roses yeah. and the perfect nuclear family. And then it crumbles, right? The, the dad, the father has his heart attack or stroke or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like we saw, the, we dive into the underneath, the underworld, yeah. the underbelly of that American dream, which it, is the, the world of organized crime mm-hmm. and the world of uh, the gritty, the industrial complex. They're always in factories and sawmills and stuff like that. Yeah. It's uh, it's almost too in your face. I agree. Yeah. Uh, I also hope that that edit works so fucking clean and no one notices it. <laughs> you jumped right back in after that. <laughs> uh, for, for disclosure, we got booted off of Zoom after forty minutes. So yeah, if you notice an edit, I failed. If you notice an edit, just ignore it and comment down below that you didn't notice an edit. Comment first. <laughs> and then we'll have a good time. That's a good meme, Nick. Good job. Hey, thanks. I got to go a year and a half ago when he said it on an episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that whole that whole subversion of the American dream just kind of keeps coming up. Yeah, it's it's so recurring, and like you said, it's so in your face. It's impossible to ignore. Mm-hmm. But there's not much else to the movie. Well. It's like another, it's like I'm kind of defending the movie now, but it's kind mm-hmm. of another piece in the filmography, kind of like take out Dune. Right. Like, like think of Elephant Man as a contemporary rather than like a historical picture. And you kind of get this, ooh, American dream, what's underneath, what else is going on kind of like theme running through the whole oeuvre and if you think of it as one kind of piece in the puzzle, you go, okay, you can kind of 
Okay. You can kind of forgive whatever slow pacing or uh, anything like that. You can kind of go, okay, well, it's part of the thing. You're, You're talking, talking about, about I'm echoing now. now. Oh, I, I didn't I know. know. If you've changed any settings. Oh, it sounds like I'm echoing. I haven't changed anything. Um, are you muted on one of your things? I mean, that wouldn't make much sense because my volume on my laptop is muted. I'm fine now. Yeah. That was are weird. You, are you recording with both accounts, though, at the same time? No. Only one. But Anyways. Yeah. I'm, is, I'm good now. Okay. Is the yeah. microphone on on both, though? No. You might want to turn the microphone only on one. That might yeah, it is. It's, oh. only on, it's only on the monolith account that I'm recording audio. Okay, that's perfect. Then. Yeah. Yeah. This I'll is even, the, fun, the fun technical part for the listeners at home. Yeah, I can't even. I haven't even joined audio on the uh, on my laptop. Perfect. Okay. Uh, our um, producer has the week off. That's why we have to do it. <laughs> we, we still have a few kinks we're going through, but uh, that damn full crew of producers and technicians they they took the day off. I mean, that's what we get for fucking yeah. not recording in the studio. No, well, it's national holiday in Bangladesh today, so uh, of course, day off. <laughs> of course. Uh, everyone's <laughs> making out with each other. <laughs> um, yeah. So you were, you were saying like, you mean as far as Lynch's entire filmography is concerned? Yeah. Because I mean, this, this is every single one of the movies, this kind of theme, like you okay. see one thing, the glitzy glam, and then he shows you the other part, the dirty right. dingy. Like that's, that's a shtick. Yeah, that's exactly it. Okay. I mean, I did enjoy it. It's a nice shtick to have. Well, I mean, shtick or not, I think some of the shots in this are fucking amazing. Oh, yeah. But I mean, have you seen, you see, I'm sure you've seen American Beauty? Uh, no, I don't think so. Really? No. With uh, that guy who uh, was accused of being a sexual abuser? At Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey, yeah. exactly. Did you, did you see the picture of him like fingering that guy's ass? I did not. It's pretty funny. Should I pull it up? <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty good. Can we do that? I mean, we're not monetized, but no, I think our video would definitely be taken down anyways. Well, well for the not. listeners at home, Google image right. search Kevin Spacey fingers guy's butt. And you'll there you go. a picture of a guy on his lap and he's like getting ready to go in on the <laughs> butt cheek. Like you're maybe half a knuckle away from the inner chasm of the butt cheek and He's right there. <laughs> uh, Kevin Spacey or not. Yeah. <laughs> I think American Beauty tackles literally the exact same themes as this. Okay. It's the division between the American dream and yeah. the dirty reality of attempting to live that American dream. <laughs> and there's the whole subtext of sexual desire taking over. Yeah. And all that stuff. But I genuinely believe American Beauty did it better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I might have to watch it then. I think I'm actually genuinely surprised you haven't. I try and stay away. I mean, that was one of the things that everyone was kind of, people were going, oh, this is good. This is good. Yeah. Ah, I'm not but I mean, people say that about Kubrick and you love Kubrick. That is true. So, come on. That is true. So, yeah. well, I'm a hypocrite. You know that by Natalie. <laughs> uh <laughs> What were you saying about Lynch? Oh, I think you might be freezing a bit there, Lee. Yeah, you are too. Maybe it's just the recording. I hope it all works out in the end. 
We'll see. I mean, worst case, we're frozen for a bit. Worst okay. case, we scrap the video. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it'll work. I think it'll yeah. work. Even if it's jumpy and stuff, who cares? Amen. Um, I wonder how it works with thumbnails, how we can still get the thumbnail, even if this is the thing on, on YouTube. I think you could still set the thumbnail individually. Yeah? Okay, yeah, definitely. Well, might be talk for after the pod. Yeah. 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 We'll leave uh, that to the producers. Yeah. Those damn, that damn crew of 30 taking the day off. I have a fun fact here. Okay. But, uh, what's the, um, what's Dorothy's name? I know it's Rosalini. I forget her first name. The actress? Yeah. Here, let me pull it up. I have it right here. This is so much fun and I can watch you Google. I don't even have to do any Googling myself. There you go. Cast. Um, Isabella Rossellini, yeah. Yeah, Isabella. Yeah. Plays Dorothy. Do you know her, her father, Roberto Rossellini? No. I think we might have talked about him on one episode. He did Rome Open City. I know we've talked about that before. That does sound familiar. Was she in it? I'll be able to find it. I don't believe she was in it. But that's like Italian neorealist. Okay. It's supposed to be like Italy during the kind of fascist time. And there's like... I believe it's actual footage of like Nazi occupation in Rome. Oh, cool. Stuff that he shot, but it's all that kind of Italian neorealist, you know, black and white yeah. moving around. It's it's in the city, you know, you're out of the studio. Right. And, uh, he, he was, uh, oh yeah, she's done some strange stuff. I mean. <laughs> well, I mean. Sex. What a title. This was, uh, this was her first like serious role, I think. Yeah, I mean, I she did. She so. got Wild at Heart. I mean, Enemy. I love that movie. Yeah, Incredibles Two. That's a meme. We can ignore that. Well, <laughs> um, but yeah, this was kind of her uh, her kickstart into serious stuff. Okay, but uh, yeah, I forget the anecdote exactly as to who was Lynch was talking to, but I believe he was talking to Roberto Rossellini, and he was saying man, I met, I saw this young model today and I think she'd be great for this role. I think she's fantastic. Her name is Isabella. And like, he showed her something. He's like, that's my daughter. She better be a good actress. (laughs) It was either that or like, it was her godfather or something. It's like, you don't know Roberta Rossellini's daughter or something like there's, I'm mixing up the anecdote, but we get it. It's funny enough. (laughs) Good one, dude. Hey, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I forget where I heard that one. I think that's another interview thing. Yeah, like Lynch that. Lynch is like, I mean, at least as far as uh, written down documentation goes, he <laughs> seems to be one of the most interviewed directors I've ever researched. It's pretty funny that he's done so much kind of public speaking, and yet he yeah. gives me no answers about things. And it's funny, too, because most of his answers are just like, nah. Yeah, you know, it's almost like he used <laughs> to smoke cigarettes on TV is what he's doing. Yeah. He's just I mean, one of my, one of my, I mean, to, like to this day, what, he, he has my favorite interview clip. Yeah. Where the, I think I mentioned this when we talked about Eraserhead. He, yeah. he says that Eraserhead is his most spiritual movie. Mm-hmm. And the interviewer asks, can you elaborate on that? And David Lynch just looks at him and says, no. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> but I mean... It's a valid answer. Spiritual. Yeah. Doesn't have to be spiritual. You don't have to. Fuck you. I don't have to answer that. 
I mean, you don't fucking movie. make the rules. Yeah, watch the movie, come up with your own thing. I mean, it's not enough. Yeah, exactly. Spiritual is spiritual. It doesn't have to be specific. Mm-hmm. Now, back to the uh, kind of composition of stuff. Mm-hmm. My first note here is Dorothy's apartment. Yeah. I believe that is a set piece, the interior. Okay. You don't think that's, uh, you don't think they went to an apartment? You think that's uh, yeah. in studio? Yeah, I think that's all in studio. Okay. Like, we never, s- well, we do see it, but like it almost seems too large and like the, the lens is wide, but I mean, this would be a gigantic apartment. Yeah. It definitely wouldn't be hard to build this as a set because there's not much going on. There's like the one hallway. Yeah. They could build the bedroom and the bathroom separately Mm -hmm. because you never really get a reverse shot from those angles. Yeah. But at least the kitchen, living room, and hallway closet, you definitely get a whole 360 view of that whole area. It's kind of like the same stuff we were seeing in uh, anti-porno. Right, yeah. Where you'd always see three walls. Yeah. You'd never turn around kind of thing. But they would have had to have either built two sets Mm -hmm. where you have the three walls on one side and then the three walls on the other side. Well, I think it would be the, the full square and then just one wall is removable. And you okay. Visit, or uh, they just have the actual doorway that just goes to the studio. Yeah. Well, you can like slide the wall out, you know, slide whichever wall yeah, you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think it definitely makes sense to slide mm-hmm. the I've, closet out. I have a sneaking suspicion that this is all in studio, all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't doubt it too much because, uh, I mean, like the, the closet wall mm-hmm. is probably the easiest to slide out. Because any shot within the closet, yeah, the camera is outside of the closet, and any shot within the closet is just this, yeah, where it's just uh, Jeff Jeffrey's face from within the closet, and you can really just toss a camera in a closet with him, and, like that's easy to do. I'm also thinking like it's it's so wide, and like like here we're getting movement, but it's still on that one flat area, yeah. Like, I, I, I'm thinking to get that kind of angle of focus or that kind of angle of view, you would almost need to be behind the wall where it would be. You know what I mean? That, that gives me the feeling that this is a set. Right. Interesting. I mean, I, I, I think mainly because we get that, that, that definite 360 view of the main room of the apartment. Yeah. I never really keyed in on that. I but, think I might have to do some Googling, but every time I watch this movie, I get the same feeling that this is all okay. one set. Um, what do you think about the other interior sets? Like the detective office, the households? The detective office is okay. The, the hospital's fun because the dad's makeup's pretty good. But, uh, I mean, Dorothy, or not Dorothy, uh, Laura Dern's house, I think is, is very well lit. It's not the, yeah. the coolest looking house, but that, that was the kind of example I was thinking before when I was talking about the vignetted kind of composition where they, edge, oh, wow, I can even do it on screen and show you guys what I mean. Where this is kind <laughs> of vignetted and the person in the middle is light. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of would be that. I, I believe it's like the second time he's in her house or something. Okay. 
Um, yeah, it, it's nicely lit, but I mean, it's nothing, uh, nothing to freak out about. I don't know if I'll be able to find it, but I know what you mean. Yeah, uh, this is find, fun to scrub through. It is interesting. I'm definitely past the second time he's there. I just thought of one, uh, one greasy line where she's like, "Oh, he put his disease in me." Oh, that I wrote that down too. That was there's a few lines where I'm like, "Oh, that's come." Yeah, like they're just talking about semen. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a line. Yeah, exactly. He says, "I have your disease in me now." Yeah, and it's like, oh, he came. But that's it. That's what that means for sure. Maybe also lust or something. You know? Ooh, now I'm infatuated with this young bull. Yeah, but we. I mean, from a racer head, we do know that David Lynch has some pretty nasty opinions about semen and reproduction. He loves, he loves <laughs> There's also. Uh, when Frank tells Jeffrey he's going to write him a love letter. Yeah. And then he says, a love letter is a bullet from a gun. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's come too. Yeah. That's <laughs> the first, that was like, the, he's going to come inside of him. That's what he's talking about. There are some lines that are just so goofy, but they're so fun. Yeah, it's definitely. almost like you're trying yeah. to write dialogue. And <laughs> yeah. What fucked me up most, I mean, I don't know how many uh, international viewers we have, uh, but here in Quebec, you have to go through CJEP mm-hmm. before you go to university. Yeah. So by the time you're in college, you're two to three years after high school, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here Jeffrey comes, he comes back to his hometown. He's in college, he's in university. Mm-hmm. And he starts flirting and seeing this high school chick. And... He goes to high school parties with her. Yeah. It's fucking creepy to me. Because, like, in my mind, here in Quebec, yeah. if you're in high school, you're 16, 17 maxed. Yeah. And if you're in university, you're, like, 20. Yeah. That just seems weird. I think it's, they're more like 17, 18. In here. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Because in America, I mean, in America, I think you graduate high school when you're, like, 18, straight up. And then you go straight to college. That. Yeah. Oh, they might be both 18 and he's 19 then or something, but yeah, who knows? But it just, uh, the whole time I was like, dude, this girl's a minor. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. But I she think, might, I mean, she might not be. It's never addressed in the movie, but she's yeah. 14 years old. He's 20. Oh my God. <laughs> Even my favorite, one of my favorite lines is, uh, when he, when she drops him off at Dorothy's house, the singer. Yeah. And she says, I still don't know if you're a pervert or a detective. Yeah. And he just looks at her and says, that's for me to know and you to figure out. <laughs> like, dude, what the fuck? That's creepy. That's not a very good line to get. I oh, mean, man. I don't you have this fucking high school chick in your passenger seat and she asks if you're a pervert and you just say, hey. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> don't fucking I, worry about it. <laughs> I'm still figuring that out myself, actually. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see I like Dude, that he flies to her too just strings her along yeah yeah we're, we're gonna go out and stuff and he's just banging some old Italian lady <laughs> beating her up and punching each other oh man yeah that is funny um, when you were talking about high school parties one line in this movie that I think must be like some real life line that he heard was when he shows up at the high school party and then Laura Dern walks to her friends and then she comes back and she goes, it's all been arranged. And then they start dancing. Yeah. 
That was fucking weird. It's just a strange line. Yeah. Yeah. Right here, here. Yeah. Here she's talking to her friends. Yeah. And she comes. What does that mean? It's all been arranged. I feel like it would have to be a thing that actually happened to David Lynch when he was at a high school party. And he's like, that was such a strange line that it just stuck with me. Yeah, That's for it. sure. I, it has nothing to do any part of the narrative, any, no. part of any story or anything, any reading of this movie. It makes no sense. It's like, no, it's like, it's, it's all been arranged. Do you want a drink? And then he says, do you want to dance? And then they dance instead of getting a drink. Yeah. Like what has been arranged? I think, I mean, in my mind, I was like, did she ask them to play a specific song? Like, did she know they were just going to end up dancing to this? Yeah. That's the only thing that I could think of. Is this a song that returns in the movie? No. No clue. I don't know. Strange one. The only recurring song is the Dream One and Blue Velvet, right? Yeah. Funnily enough, I recognized Blue Velvet only because Lana Del Rey covered it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I saw it first in a, the, like a commercial for perfume or something. Ooh. Oh, I think it was, it was Lana Del Rey singing it. With okay, the, it was her cover. In the thing doing okay. Velvet. But right. uh, I like uh, Isabella Rossellini's version. Yeah, me too. I like I, how, uh, how Frank is just molesting this piece of velvet in his hands while he's listening. Ooh, yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah, apparently uh, the title to this movie is like the first thing, one of the first things David Lynch thought of. It's a pretty cool title. It is. But like, is it just because of the song? Goes well. Uh, yeah, it does. I mean, I know, I mean, in that same interview I read, uh, Lynch says that blue is his favorite color. Okay. I was like, uh, I mean, sure, whatever. Whatever you say, David, whatever you say. I don't know how much that has to do with it, but. <laughs> I have another fun line that I had written down here. It's from uh, Dennis Hopper. Yeah. Heineken, fuck that shit. Pops yes. Blue Ribbon. <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot too. I, dude, at first, the whole beer thing was fucking with me so much. Yeah. Because fucking uh, when they go to the restaurant, I don't know what that club is called, where she sings, where Dorothy sings. Yeah, Pink Ribbon, Pink Slipper or something. Yeah, something like that. Pink, I think it's definitely Pink something. There is Pink Neon, I know yeah. that. Um, and uh, he, you know, they both, him and uh, Jeffrey and fucking Laura Dern's character, mm-hmm. they both order Heineken. Sponsored, dude. My initial thought was like, "Well, fuck. What is this pro- fucking product placement in 1986?" Yeah, that's fucking weird. But then you get the Frank line. <laughs> but then even her line, um, he's like, "You like Heineken?" And she's like, "I never had it. My dad drinks Coors or Budweiser, rather." Yeah. And then he says, "Oh, King of Beers," yeah. like all sarcastic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, <laughs> at first, I was like, "Dude, what's with all this fucking beer talk?" Yeah. But then, I mean, both Pabst and Budweiser are both American, right? Mm. And Jeffrey likes Heineken, which is imported from Germany, Belgium? I think Germany, but it also might be American. I can't tell you. It's definitely imported. Mm-hmm. Probably Germany, then. Um, so I kind of like thought maybe it's like another layer on the whole like American dream. Like American made things aren't that good. I'm kind of thinking maybe like 
he's trying to show off through ooh Heineken, yeah, German beer, and ooh. then she goes, oh, I like imported like, beer. Yeah, wow, <laughs> all this guy's cultured. He drinks Heineken. Is that a green glass bottle? Is that green? But uh, and then she's drinking Coors, and it's like ah, oh, Mountain Fresh or whatever, or a King of Beers Budweiser. Yeah, know, yeah, Budweiser, standard American. Yeah, and Frank comes in with dirty paps. Yeah. Maybe it's the same kind of metaphor showing you the underbelly. You get Budweiser and then Pabst is the dirty <laughs> version. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, that all makes sense. But it's like, why fucking beer? In my head, I'm wishing and hoping in my heart that it's just Lynch at that one line. Heineken, fuck that shit. And I hope <laughs> he just wanted to put that in somehow. And he's like, I got to bring it in earlier he likes yeah. Heineken or something he's like i gotta slam heineken in this movie man That's fuck that funny. shit Pops blue ribbon a <laughs> <laughs> fucking rock maybe he's just trying to get sponsorship wherever he can yeah i think i mean uh that's dude the dialogue in this movie is is, is so funny yeah <laughs> there are so many like there's that one scene uh they're in the morgue and they're analyzing the ear yeah and the mortician asks for a pair of scissors. Mm-hmm. And as he's saying the word scissor, it cuts to a shot of them cutting police tape with a pair of scissors. Yeah. It's just fucking, it's just funny. There, it's, this movie is, to, it's tons of fun. Yeah. And then I think uh, Jeffrey asks the detective about the case. And he says, oh, don't worry about it. It's all sewed up. <laughs> like they sewed the ear back on him or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, he asks Laura Dern's character about the case. Mm-hmm. He's like, what'd you hear about the ear? And she's oh, I hear things. I heard, like, I heard about the ear. It's in bits and pieces. <laughs> like, it's all these fucking puns about ears and amputation and surgery. Yeah. It's so stupid, but it's so funny. <laughs> it's too much fun. I have a great time watching this. This is a fun drinking movie where you take a shot every, every time someone says fuck or yeah. it's punched or bit or you see a candle in the wind. I like to the uh, now it's dark recurring line. I don't remember it. Uh, Frank walks into the apartment for the first time. Okay. And uh, he's a, you know, they're about to do their thing. Mm-hmm. And then he yells at her and asks for the, uh, what did he ask for? Gin? Um, bourbon? I think it's bourbon. Something like that, yeah. Right, so right, she lights the candle for him, she turns the lights off, she hands him the bourbon, Yeah. turns the lights off, and uh, lights the candle, and then he says, now it's dark. <laughs> and then he starts huffing fucking nitrous. Yeah. And then he, you know, does his whole sadomasochistic ritual with her yeah and then he extinguishes the candle and again says now it's dark <laughs> yeah but and it's-, it's just like every time after that something bad happens like when jeffrey kills frank for example oh i remember now yeah. he like cuts to black like every time something bad happens it goes dark again mm-hmm. so it's just like this super obvious like we're in the dark world now we're in the underworld well doesn't Jeff say it verbatim also at some point? It's dark now, does he? Uh, maybe. You, you're jogging my memory somehow. I, if he did, I, I didn't catch it. He might say now it's dark at another point, but when it's like narratively dark, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. Oh, like maybe like when he's driving around with Laura Dern or whatever and it gets dark out or some shit? 
some or but I think he was talking directly about the case or something, saying how oh, okay. up it is and how fucked up Frank is, and he goes now it's dark or maybe I'm not sure, but it's it's definitely. Him I mean that line him. definitely comes up a bunch. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I just forgot what I was going to say. Oh, uh, I believe it's the next time that Jeff is in the apartment when Frank shows up unexpectedly. Um. I believe it's when Frank shows up. Uh, no, well, the next time he's in the apartment, they just fuck and he stays the night. Nothing happens. That's when he hits her. It That's might when Jeffrey hits her. Yeah, it, it might be in this one then where he's talking to her and then it cuts away from the apartment to an overview of the stairwell of the apartment, then back to the thing and then back to the stairwell as he leaves. And it, it's almost like a filler shot because the, okay. it's like an edit save because the two shots that proceed and succeed it are the same angle. So it's almost like he didn't have a, a reverse angle or a, any kind of angle to cut to, to keep the scene going that you cut to the stairwell. Then the scene plays out and you expect something to happen with that stairwell, but it just ends with him leaving down the stairs. If memory serves me correctly, that is my least favorite cut in the movie. It's terrible. I hate it so much. I think, isn't that, at the end, when Jeffrey discovers the yellow man dead in the apartment, and then he runs out and sees fake Jeff, like here, right? Like it cuts to it might up be. down to the stairs a couple times in this section. Yeah, this might be it. He's definitely in the apartment, and then mid-scene, for no reason. I mean, you don't need to have an exposition shot for a fucking staircase. You know, it's an apartment. That's like, yeah, especially when they showed the staircase in the first 20 minutes of the movie, we know yeah, it's you, there. You know, the geography of the place, you, you yeah. understand that. Okay. This is not something I've never seen before. This is a staircase from the set that we've already visited a few times. This is, this is a location we know they don't need to cut back. So I think he's trying to save a little bad edit by cut shooting in some B roll, some leftover B roll. Interesting. I think I think I know what you're talking. I'm not sure if it's here exactly. Yeah, because this seems pretty uh, thorough and planned out. Mm-hmm. But I think I know what you're talking about. I'm thinking it's halfway or something, but you, you don't need to find it. It's like yeah, one half, half a yeah. second or something. But if you if you ever watch the movie again, <laughs> uh, keep that in mind, and you'll you'll notice and go, "What the fuck? That's stupid." Oh, we've yeah. been limited to. Upgraded to unlimited minutes. Nice. There you go. Thanks, Zoom. Good job. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think there's there are a few clunky cuts mm-hmm. in the movie. I think, like you said, a lot of it's filler. It, it the movie oh, yeah. doesn't need to be two hours. No, you can trim this a lot. Yeah. Even the, I mean the section we we just talked about at the very end when he discovers the yellow man shot mm-hmm. and he leaves the room, comes back, leaves the room again, checks the staircase, comes back, uses the walkie-talkie, goes in the room, comes back in the main room. There's so much back and forth there. He could have easily just walked out, saw Frank, walked in, mm-hmm. took in the walkie-talkie and the gun. Yeah. And been like, oh, I have a plan. And that's it. 
that this is like the Hitchcock style, though. You know, you have to put tons of shots, get them fast, yeah. build tension, yeah. and oh, oh, what's going to break the yeah. tension? Where's this going? But I mean, that's uh, a fucking. It's very uh, yeah, very even. I mean that that technique. Film got that technique from literature. Mm-hmm. Like you watch, you you read uh, like H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Allan Poe, even Stephen King does this. Mm-hmm. Most horror and suspense authors they'll do something similar, but instead of introducing new scenes, like a movie will do, mm-hmm. they'll shorten their sentences okay. during areas of action so that it feels like things are happening quicker because yeah. you're reading shorter and shorter sentences. Mm-hmm. And then you'll get this big release of tension with a nice long sentence about the conclusion of the situation. Right. Yeah. And so f- film kind of took that same strategy where, like you said, Hitchcock did it. David Lynch is doing it here. You'll get right when action starts coming, you'll get these shots, shot, 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 action ends, nice long shot. Oh yeah. That's the structure of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like you boil that down and you watch like generic, um, action movies. Like I think born ultimatum was the worst for this where instead of doing multiple shots, mm-hmm. they just fucking shake the camera. Oh yeah. Well that's like the action movies where we were talking about last week. Just absolute lazy, lazy, yeah. lazy technique. You're, you're taking the kind of visceral and just saying, okay, do the work for me. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's like, that's the other end of the spectrum. That's like the yeah. fucking, like you said, fucking lazy way to do it. Mm-hmm. But it's that same effect of simulating suspense using camera movement and camera like edits and shots. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a note here saying that it's um, some kind of like mythic storytelling almost in here where like it's not epic like it's not a grand story but it's still kind of like folklore the way that Jeff kind of is describing it to people like yes. he's, he's giving these characters these kind of the yellow man the well-dressed man and stuff yeah. he's giving them these these name titles and uh that's another thing he says. Then he goes, and in the distance, there was a drug deal or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way he's and telling them. He always refers to things in the past tense. Yeah. Obviously, he's telling the story to Laura Dern's character, so it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But it, it's very, like, fairy tale-ish. Yeah. Where nothing's ever happening to him. It's just some story that he just so happens to be watching. That's also our problem with the ending, I think. How so? Well, it's too much told to you like uh, an oral mm. story rather than, okay, it's a visual medium. Let's yeah. see what's going on. Let's see it. I mean, that's Lynch's choice if he wants to do it in the past tense. But I mean, I would prefer present tense. We see what's happening when it happens. Yeah. I mean, my my biggest part of the, my biggest issue with the ending is something I said earlier where it's just, it undermines the whole movie. Yeah. It's like you're expecting the movie sets up this underbelly of the American dream, right? You're introduced into this perfect world. And then you, along with Jeffrey discover this nasty part of the world that is very real and it exists. But by the end of the movie, it's like, ah, never really happened. Fuck yeah. it. Well, it's like all the bad guys are gone. The Robins are back. Uh, there's love in the world. And the, yeah. uh, the, the, the happiest of happy endings. I mean, even the, the, 
it opens. He goes after he discovers the crime scene. He finds the ear in the field. Yeah. He goes for a walk in his neighborhood, mm-hmm. and he's thinking about the crime scene. And there's a shot of the ear, and it yeah. zooms. It's like a, a double a double exposure of him in the ear. Yeah. It zooms into the ear, and that's like literally from Alice in Wonderland. Lynch saying, "We are entering the rabbit hole." Yeah, we are yeah. going into this underbelly world. We're entering it now. Yeah, and then at the very end of the movie, when you hit that happy ending sequence, you come out of Jeffrey's ear. Mm-hmm. Do you? Really? So it's literally like none of that happened. Yeah, yeah, I swear. See? Oh yeah, right, boom. Yeah, you literally yeah. after all the action, after everything happens in Dorothy's apartment. It cuts to Jeffrey's ear and it zooms out to his face. He's hanging out on a lawn chair. He's chilling. He's happy. Yeah. And it's the whole fucking ending sequence. Laura Dern is so quick to forgive him too. That's yeah. Oh my like God. You'd go like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. You've been lying to me for like a month saying you're investigating. You're banging this middle-aged lady whose son is kidnapped and you're, yeah. I don't know. That's a weird fucking thing to happen. And Jeffrey's just like, I love you. And she's like, no, I believe you. That yeah. makes sense. That is a fun back and forth, though. That's another kind of fun way to do it over the phone like that. And I, I believe Lynch zooms out from the reflection in the mirror to behind Laura Dern to get the kind of yeah thought of her. And that's a fun yeah. way to make make a back and forth a little more exciting, make it a yeah. bit more uh, yeah a little different. Nice pink room too. Look at Kyle McLaughlin close up face. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Um, something I found interesting, uh, in that same interview, I keep referring to, it's a very short interview, but it it was, they covered a lot of ground. Yeah. They ask about, um, why Lynch chose an ear. Okay. And not like a finger. Yeah. Or, you know, something more common. Mm -hmm. And he said it had to be an opening. Okay. So, like, this ending shot and the the opening shot of them entering the ear and then exiting the ear yeah. was, like, definitely planned. Like, that's something Lynch wanted to absolutely happen in the movie, was entering the rabbit hole and mm-hmm. exiting the rabbit hole. Is that, like, you're entering the dark subconscious, you're going into his brain, into the deep recess of yeah. his brain? Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. Mm. I think on like a postmodern level. Mm-hmm. This movie is extremely critical of the uh, predisposed opinions people have about the American dream. Yeah. So it presents you with the American dream and every opportunity it gets, it subverts your perception. Mm-hmm. Even like you said, with the romantic aspect, there's yeah. the whole soap opera aspect of the movie. There's the whole murder mystery aspect, but mm-hmm. every single aspect of the story is subverted expectations. Yeah. Usually in a murder mystery, the detective is like, you know, some fucking, he's the hero. He's the guy who solves the crime. In this movie, the detective, fucking Laura Dern's dad, he's so weird. He smiles all the time. Like Jeffrey's telling him about the severed ear he found in the little field. And he's like, oh yeah. Okay. (laughs) It's like the fucking weirdest thing in the world. And he doesn't do anything. Jeffrey solves the entire crime. Right. Yeah. And you'd expect for the gangsters to be like these fucking badass mafia guys. Mm-hmm. But no, there's some fucking sex crazed, sadomasochistic, 
nitrous oxide huffing fucking weirdos. And some chubby guy in a yellow shirt. Yeah, exactly. And some fucking dude named Paul. That's all he says. The dude played by fucking, what is it, Jack Nance? Is it really? Is it? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the dude who played Henry in uh, yeah. Eraserhead. He's yeah. like the larger, he just, like his, like, he has two lines. And like one of his lines right. is, I'm Paul. I'm like, that's it. Well, do you think that could be a tie to his, uh, his last movie, Dune, where Kyle MacLachlan played Paul Atreides? Oh, maybe. 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 But the, I mean, point. Paul or Peter? It's Paul. Sure. Definitely Paul. Paul Atreides? Yeah, yeah. For sure it's Paul. I mean, at least in, in Blue Velvet, for sure it's Paul. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta, I'm going to look up Dune for a second and see if Yeah, go Paul for it. Um, but my point being that that's the whole American beauty aspect of this. And like, that's the whole um, yeah. postmodern aspect where it's, it's critiquing the past. It's forcing everyone. Are you excited for the new Dune movie? The Dennis Villeneuve Dune? Who knows? I don't know. I'll, I'll probably watch it, but I mean, I'll watch I'll it. I'll definitely watch it. it but is I'm not like... Yeah. I mean, I, I could, didn't you like know. the first movie. I'm not going to read the thousand-page book. Mm. I watched Star Wars already. Star Wars ripped everything off from it. I'm not yeah. But I like... Dennis Villeneuve makes pretty movies, so I'll know I'll enjoy it. And I mean, I like Timothy Chalamet. I'm a sucker for the guy. Yeah. I think he's great. Uh, a lot of, I mean, I think the casting is fantastic, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, I, don't know. I think, I don't know if it's uh, been confirmed or anything, but I remember us shooting the idea around of maybe we do original Dune, the new Dune, and Hodorowski's Dune. I'd love to. Triple feature special episode. That's a good episode. Because I think that would be pretty fun to see what the heck is going on. Yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> and we'll we'll try and find someone who's read the book and get them on the show. That would be fun. Yeah. Okay, we'll we'll do it in uh, three years when I finish yeah. the book. <laughs> then we can do it. Um, okay, I've been fucking trying to get to this point for so long now. Yeah. So that The whole American dream thing we've outlined, right? Mm-hmm. And there's the whole psychoanalytical aspect of this movie. Yeah. Um, which d- dives very deep into Freudian theories. And that that's the idea at least to me it seems like frank and jeffrey are the same person mm-hmm. and dorothy and laura dern's character are the same person it's that okay. whole two sides of the same coin yeah right so if we're talking in terms of freud um jeffrey would be the ego mm-hmm. and frank would be this the id mm-hmm. and then the super ego would just be the movie as a whole that that struggle to balance the two yeah so Jeffrey needs to explore those primal desires, that like sadomasochistic sexual desire that's inside of him. He needs to explore that and get over it in order to achieve the American dream. Because if he refuses to accept that that's a part of his life, then he won't be able to live happily. He'll end up like his dad and he'll have a heart attack. Hmm. Well, it's, it's uh, was it Oedipal? Yeah. Or he has to kill his father, and he kind of kills Frank, the father figure, and everything. Yeah, that yeah, that's also a good point. Hmm. Um, you were talking about American Beauty as kind of a a better critique or exploration into the American dream and the consequences thereof. But I quite enjoy my favorite on the topic is um, 
was it Terry Gilliam's uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Oh yeah, but that's 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 like still that's a hard. Yeah, that's still American Dream, but it's it's less sexual and more. I don't know drugs and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's that's a it's a very different American dream. Yeah, I find that movie so sad. Yeah. Oh, I haven't yeah. seen I'm, it in so long. I'm so sad at the end of that movie. I don't remember how it ends. I, I it must be a line lifted from the book, but it, he's saying like, "Oh, these are like these flower kids thought they were doing something, but they're just wasting their lives and fucking everything." Uh, and there's there's some like very dismissive line that's just so fantastic and very melancholy and uh, I, I quite like the end of that movie. It, it really I definitely fucking, have to rewatch it. Th- that movie fucking does it well. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I don't remember the movie well, but I definitely remember enjoying it very much. Mm-hmm. But I find who's, who's the, that's Hunter S. Thompson's story, right? Yeah. 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 His whole, like that, that portion of the American dream mm-hmm. is more about the self-made man like freedom freedom yeah exactly in in american beauty and in blue velvet Mm -hmm. you get more of the the american dream of like the white picket fence the nuclear family yeah the happily ever after that Mm -hmm. you get that portion of the american dream that's like the dream of like post-war dream right and and like fear and loathing would be like 60s free dream you know yeah and that's i mean even though this movie was made blue velvet was made in in the late 80s it's very reminiscent of the 50s that post-war era oh yeah right the look of it yeah not even like the look but also like every single power dynamic every single relationship dynamic yeah it's very heavily steeped in that post-war aesthetic Mm -hmm. whereas i think maybe the reason i preferred american beauty is that it's a much more contemporary take okay. on the American dream. So I yeah. probably identify with it more heavily. Mm-hmm. For me, Blue Velvet is hard to relate to because everything seems so dated. Okay, yeah. It is a like, fun aesthetic, though. I, I enjoy the aesthetic on yeah. just terms of, oh, wow, that's an interesting thing. Look at this guy with the funny pants on over here. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like, this is also a really cool shot. I love this shot from... The, uh, the trunk of the car, just like a mounted camera, and they drive around, and the camera's yeah. stuck on the trunk. That's pretty cool. I love that. There are a lot of cool car shots. Oh, yeah. Well, that goes with the aesthetic you're talking about, that kind yeah. of late 50s, early 60s. That's but, I mean, a- that that plays into the whole freedom thing, right? Yeah. Like the whole the open road freedom. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. all American, man. Well, that might be why Dennis Hopper's in it, too. That's what his whole, Easy Rider. whole movement, yeah. But yeah, the, you're right. The wide angle shots in this, like I'm looking at this frame right now, they're fucking awesome. He's using the full extent of that wide angle. The, the whole movie out, I mean, like yeah. every cool shot. Yeah. This fucking nice fat wide moving around. Focus is crisp. Yeah. It's it's interesting. There's something about David Lynch that feels so much more instinctive than mm-hmm. other directors. Oh yeah, for sure. Like if you were to take this shot, like if I mean we we I mentioned Kubrick earlier. Mm-hmm. If Kubrick made this shot, like the the mirror, yeah, the car mirror, for example, how the yeah. car mirror sticks out on Jeffrey's side but doesn't stick out on Laura Dern's side, yeah, 
It'd be unacceptable. And, right. It would need to be symmetric. Yeah. But I, it's like David Lynch is so like instinctive about these things. Like you said, like he's using that wide angle and he's got the focus locked in. And like, yeah. that's all that really matters. Yeah. Everything else is just, he knows what he wants the audience to see. Mm-hmm. And as long as the audience is seeing that, he's got his shot. Well, he, he's showing you his dreams in all these movies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's going on yeah. straight instinct. Yeah, it's not as, it's less formulaic and it's more, I have a vision in my mind oh, that yeah. I need to put on camera. You're going to see when we keep doing more Lynch, this is still him with the chains of narrative. Mm. When we get to Mulholland Drive or Lost Highway, yeah. you're going to see how narrative doesn't matter anymore. And yeah. like this kind of traditional linear storytelling, even if this one kind of, you have the flashbacks and kind of the the oral story of uh, Jeff telling this folklore to Laura. I mean, it's still a straightforward A to B story. Like uh, Lost Highway is a perfect circle. Fucking, uh, what's it called? Uh, Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive is all over the place. Yeah. I think, I don't, I, um, based on what you just said, I, I feel like it might have been Mulholland Drive that Lynch was talking about. Mm-hmm. But I heard him say, uh, something about his movie making process where he'll think of a scene mm-hmm. and he'll storyboard it. Yeah. And then he'll just kind of hold on to it. And then once he has like 70 scenes storyboarded, he'll just be like, well, that's a movie. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. That's the yeah. kind of blocks. He'll get a million little Lego blocks and stick yeah. them together to make something. And then, you know, all, at that point, all you got to do is line the characters up. Mm-hmm. So it makes a tiny bit of sense yeah. and then let the story kind of unravel itself. It's like, you're going to see in wild at heart, it's him kind of moving in the direction of the kind of romance. But then after that, he's kind of moving in a kind of testing the waters with narrative and what makes sense. Okay. And like how people like associate these different scenes what conclusions do they come up with in the scenes if the movie itself gives you no answers okay. to the questions it's, it's yeah. or the, the things it's showing you? How, how do you understand this as a, as a thing other than just like dream logic or something? I am like, very excited to see uh, whether or not Lynch persists with the whole uh, sexual subconscious mm-hmm. things. Because so far... I mean, we've only watched two, but both of them have been like very heavily sexual, like content. Elephant man, not so much, but it's more of the same kind of seeking a relationship. Okay. He's looking for some kind of guidance, like the elephant man. But he didn't write elephant man, right? I don't think so. I don't think so. I can check. I'll check right now. But I don't think he did either. I believe, or wasn't it, didn't we say like Mel Brooks hired him to do it? He definitely got hired because they yeah. saw Eraserhead and I imagine they saw the clip of the girl in the, the theater, in the radiator. Yeah. And she had the fucked up face and they were like, ooh, <laughs> elephant man, fucked up people. Uh, he co-wrote it. Okay, but I mean... He's got a, he's got a writing credit, at least. That can just be a name, too. Yeah. Though, or maybe he writes a few lines of dialogue. For sure the story is sketched out and he throws in some dialogue. 
Yeah, I would imagine so. Mel Brooks produced it, so I think you're right about that. Mel Brooks yeah. got him on the on the on the hook for that. But Elephant Man, it's it's a good movie, but it's just a normal movie. There's one mm. instance for maybe 20 seconds where you go, "Is this a David Lynch movie?" And it kind of cuts to like this quick montage sequence with like a candle lighting up and wind and stuff. And it's the exact same thing we see in Blue Velvet when uh, Jeff is having these flashbacks of Isabella Rossellini asking him uh, to hit her and stuff. Yeah. Kind of candle. His dream. His dream sequence. Yeah. Yeah. I think the candle is definitely a recurring motif in these kind of, and also these kind of quick dream edits kind of, that that'll come back you'll see that over and over again that's a fun uh little uh what's it called banner on top it is eh it's nice <laughs> just, just the fucking something. yeah there are some grimy uh the, the the dennis hopper sex stuff is a little it's pretty grimy oh it's weird all right it's weird uh what, what does he say when he's saying, don't look at me, and he's like slapping her. and Yeah. Don't you fucking look at me, you fuck. <laughs> he's so good, Dennis Hopper, though. He's so good. Yeah. The amount of people he calls fuck. You fuck. You fuck. Fuck you. You fucking fuck. Fuck. It's so fucking funny. I bet <laughs> none of that was in the script, and it's just Dennis going nuts. Can't think yeah. of anything. Yeah. Fucking fuck. Yeah. It's good be- shit. Maybe Lynch wants to keep it with the sex kind of stuff. I'll fuck anything that moves. That, that was a good line. Fuck as much as it can. That whole scene rules beyond compare, dude. Yeah. What with the singing and oh, fucking yeah. that random dude's house, dude, whatever his name is. That's awesome. I think it's Ben. I think so. that makes sense. That rings a bell. Ben, you're so fucking suave. That yeah. sounds like something. Um, it's like about... Where is it? It's before this. <laughs> it's there just, it is. Yeah. Do you remember what the, the song was? The Gilded Clown or something? The Gilded Clown? What is do you mean? Is that the name of the song that he was singing? I don't know. I just know it. he says he repeats the line in dreams. That's all I remember. Hmm. Yeah. Look at these. Like, who oh, yeah. People? That's a good one. The fucking reverse shot of all these yeah. these people. <laughs> these people are the best for sure. It's just like such odd balls and strange characters, <laughs> but they all fit so perfectly in this world. Oh, it's the best. They all look like what are they doing there? They're all David Lynch's ants. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, get in this movie. And who's this guy with hors d'oeuvres in the far corner? Dude, it's the best. It's he's so got, funny. He's got a plate of fucking Spanakopita he's walking around. Yeah. Oh, it's good. It's good. Do you see the uh, the lady sitting down there? Yeah, like she looks like she's on her phone or something. Yeah, what the heck is she doing? Because there's no phones then. That's what I was thinking too. I was just thinking that. This is 86, dude. They don't yeah. have fucking smartphones. She's not yeah. checking Twitter or any shit like that. Exactly. Like to yeah. our contemporary eyes i thought oh she's texting away some big fatty right. order ordering food on doordash or something but uh i just downloaded doordash before that's where i got the hot <laughs> reference but uh, i don't know what the hell she's doing yeah no either 
That's another kind of fun silhouette kind of shot too. Edges all dark, center of the frame, nice and bright. Yeah, it's also like you got the one person standing right in the door frame, one right in the corner. You got the couch nice and vertical, all the other characters, uh, sorry, the couch horizontal, all the other characters yeah. vertical. It's well composed for sure. And just tons of pills and empty beer on the yeah. table. It's a grimy life. Oh, yeah. You think Lynch is saying like, oh, this is the, the underbelly where all the fatties go. <laughs> this society's underbelly where the gross fatties hang out. And- well, I think Lynch is definitely trying to de-romanticize both the suburbs and the like whole glorified crime life of the 50s. Yeah, this does not look very uh, oh, God, no. glorious at all. No, I mean, no, no. Other than the free karaoke show, or I guess it's not even karaoke, just lip syncing. Yeah. I would have been thoroughly entertained, regardless of the year, I think, if Suave Ben came out and started singing into a light. Yeah, I think so too. That was a, that was definitely a nice touch. I would have <laughs> There he is. He's got full makeup on. Full <laughs> <laughs> Dennis Offer is crying. He loves it, dude. He absolutely <laughs> loves it. But I mean, he's so over the top, the actor. Yeah. But it fits so fucking perfect. It looks so good. He's just, he, he's turned to 15 every time. And it's 15 on like, <laughs> like a 15 year old's 15, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'm getting mad. Just getting all angry. But <laughs> Oh, fuck anything that moves. Fuck. And then this guy's wearing fucking Jerry Seinfeld's pirate shirt. <laughs> Does Jerry Seinfeld wear pirate shirts often? Is that a thing? In one episode. This is oh, in one episode. Okay. Let me load it up for you there, Lee. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's a record from 1993, if you were wondering. Um, um, did you have anything to add about the movie itself? not sure we might uh skip straight to the reviews if you wanted to well you want to do favorite scene we haven't talked about our favorite scenes yet that's true i have i think spoiled it quite a bit that this is my favorite scene that's fair yes you have definitely explicitly mentioned that this is definitely your favorite scene yeah Yeah. and i think mine would be the the dolly into his face and then the hard cut to emptiness right yes yeah we're gonna see that soon Mm-hmm. when uh he says i'll fuck everything that moves let's roll or whatever and then when he yeah. says let's roll it cuts to the empty living room okay here you go yeah i, I quite enjoy that as well but I, I will be honest it's not my favorite i do like it but i think um my favorite might be the first time jeffrey is in dorothy's bedroom Okay, that's fun. Yeah, I'll try and find the exact scene I'm talking about mm-hmm. after we see this part, because this is good. Yeah, this rules. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Boom. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Love it. Uh, I got uh, it up here. After this, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, let's... <laughs> yeah, come right here. Right here. On the couch. This is probably my favorite scene. Right there. That shot is perfect. With the blue velvet gown, yeah, the knife, cool. the couch. I love it. Yeah. 
Yeah, that. Boom. This Fantastic. Is, that's also like the most fucking, you're shocked when you see this. Yeah, I love that. Who's coming in? What's going on? She's got the knife. Yeah, and I love how just like, for no reason whatsoever, Jeffrey is just so okay with everything that's going on. He's down, dude. dude he's like, knives? No problem. Listen, I've been to college one year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm banging. Yeah. Oh yeah. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> I did, uh, sex and violence class before. Yeah. This is this is definitely my favorite scene. Mm-hmm. If not, it's like near the end. Uh, when you see <laughs> that's a fuck. That's perfect. Exactly. That's exactly what I was talking about. Uh, the, the brain splatter is fucking perfect. Yeah, that looks good. I yeah, just remembered you, something as we were scrolling through, but I'll, I'll tell you after. Okay, sure. I mean, I'm I was done talking. I was just saying the, oh. the brain splatter is perfect. I love it. It is fucking nice brain. It looks like a real brain too. Yeah, looks good. I remember one time, or this was a few years ago, when we were shooting something, and I got a brain. Yeah, I remember that brain or something, and it was the hardest goddamn thing to color correct. I had yeah. to put like fake blood and tons of dye because no matter what, every time you put it under lights, it came out like bright pink, like neon pink almost. That it, Interesting. It looked like a fake brain, even though it was yeah. a brain. Like it would have been better if I used a fake one. would have looked more real. I mean, we've both seen, you remember when you we went to the uh, anatomy lab, we both saw real human brains. Yeah, yeah. They're not that bright. They're kind of like grayish. Mm-hmm. Bland. So that's interesting. That uh, the the bright, bright, bright blood though is nice. This yes. is kind of a nice dark blood. Yeah. But uh, and there's, there's a certain there's a, there's a warm tint to the whole apartment setting, the carpet and all that. Yeah. And then there's the nice harsh, cold blue tint of the velvet robe. Yeah. It contrasts very up. nicely. One brain, I think that was. Uh, a very fun one i'd say you seen full metal jacket i haven't actually okay well i won't tell you anything then. okay we'll save that because that's uh the, the climax of uh the middle the the, the diptych i guess two-part okay but uh yeah what i was gonna say before is when you were scrolling through yeah i scrubbed past a shot of uh dennis hopper kind of walking by a car or something and i believe it's from the part where uh Kyle McLaughlin is spying on uh, the yellow man and everything. He's, he's yeah. sneaking out the apartment. <laughs> right here, when he's dressed as the well-dressed man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Such a stupid disguise. Dude, it's so funny. It's like Groucho Marx with a wig on. It's so funny, too, because you see him right before that, right? You see him come up the stairs or whatever. Yeah. And it's such an obvious disguise. But like here, he's got the big jumbo. He looks like the guy from Lazy Town. He kind of he he honestly reminds me of uh, a bit of the dad from American Pie. Okay, yeah, I know you're talking with the yeah, with the nice fat eyebrows. Yeah, I can yeah. see the, the big fake eyebrows. Just yeah, exactly. Like the, the glue, the three M glue on eyebrows. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, the one one thing I don't kind of like in it is when he's got the, uh, the like there's the, <laughs> that's such a good shot. The uh, <laughs> the uh, Kleenex box camera with his camera inside, 
There we go. Let's yeah, there it is. Kenneth Hopper. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder whose idea this was. Dude, it's, it's so good. Well-dressed man. His eyebrows are almost bigger than his mustache. <laughs> it looks like it's one piece of felt that's just Dude, cut it's so funny. <laughs> stuck it on. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I think, like, originally, Grocho Marx's thing was where he would take, like, just shoe polish and just rub shoe polish on his lip and on his eyebrows like that. Oh, God. Just look completely ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't like that little shoe box camera that he has or that Kleenex box camera. And he's got a... Yeah, it doesn't make much thing. sense. But, I mean, he's not... It's never shown that he's, like, some kind of crafty guy or like a spy he's into uh yeah yeah exactly he's not some like shifty he's not a private investigator he's just some joe blow who happened to have stumbled upon this case yeah and also what what's weirder if he would have just had a camera that he would hold up over the dash take a quick picture put it down take a picture or some dude just sitting in his car in an empty factory parking lot with a kleenex box on his dash yeah the kleenex box thing is weird i fucking can't find it for the life of me though i think it's after this yeah because he uh, follows them here but this is the first place he discovers the booth yeah but then he picks her up already so did i fucking skip it or is it when he's telling the story that they show it yeah i think it's here yeah I think yeah it's okay here. let's just play it let's just play it out but i know what you mean it's interesting mm-hmm. how I mean, I guess that's kind of like the whole point of the movie is that the, the whole mystery just kind of falls into Jeffrey's lap. Yeah. Like he, like he's been waiting for it. Like it's part of his journey or whatever, mm-hmm. but it is definitely not so credible here. Yeah. He's pulling the strings and everything. It's fucking yeah. weird. Like, why would you go through that effort? Yeah. Like what's he going to do? It just looks yeah. like eating off in his car. He like parking lot, tons of cleaning pulls stuff. one string to open the shoebox, pulls the other to take a picture. He's just doing this. Seems like such a hassle, some guy in his car doing this. Yeah, it's fucking weird. Like, what that guy's doing just for the camera. So yeah. fast. Yeah, and I mean, if they're going to see some dude sitting in the driver's seat of a car staring at them, mm-hmm. what's the difference between them seeing you pulling strings and seeing you with a camera in your hand? Yeah, they're like, oh, this guy's some uh, espionage uh, nut. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. We were talking about uh, big wide angles before, but yeah. in this, these kind of little scenes with um, uh, Laura Dern, these little uh, kind of shallow lenses look really pretty too. Weird. Yeah, the, the the diner scenes are nice. I think as well, the uh, the soundtrack really shows itself in the diner scenes. Mm-hmm you get this nice contrast between like, like this nice angelic chorus in the diner scenes when he's with Laura Dern yeah. versus like the whole like mystery fifties, like fucking Hardy boys vibe music. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. This is pretty well Hardy boys when he's got the little shoebox camera and everything. Yeah, definitely. Um, I remember I had a, a Hardy boys book and it took me probably about five years to go through. Nice. I le- left it at my cottage. I'd read maybe, three quarters of it every summer and just forget completely and never get to the end of it. That's all you need. Fun enough. Who cares? There's <laughs> two idiots running around with shooting arrows or something. It's fun. Yeah. Fuck pretty much, man. Uh, I think it was the mystery <laughs> of the crooked arrow or something. And it turned out it was a snake. That was weird. The but, um, 
yeah, these little shallow thing, these shallow lenses are quite nice. The close-ups are nice and nice and blurred out, but not like ridiculously blurred, like you see now in these kind of digital movies where you can just like, yeah, it looks like a five hundred millimeter like bird watching lens or something where the background yeah, yeah. is like one flat color almost. This I find what's color. it called when you have all the lights in the background kind of like blow up the like bokeh. orbs. Yeah. Bokeh, yeah. yeah, that shit's overplayed so much. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's like it's not that pretty. Well, it's also like, I mean, it's bokeh, you know. It, it, you, anyone can yeah. do it. Anyone's there. It's it, if there's a light in the background, that's just what's going to happen. Yeah. Dude, you can, I mean, especially these days, you take your phone and you just focus on something that's not the light and the lights will blow up like that. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it will be just as nice as anyone else doing bokeh. Yeah, exactly. One exception though I kind of like is where you're maybe in a cityscape or some kind of nighttime thriller in the city and you have kind of blue and green lights of the city in the background or something. That's okay. nice enough. But in like close-ups or something, like here, if there was uh, 20 Christmas lights behind Isabella's head, right? it would look ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I find I appreciate like the whole bokeh aesthetic a lot more when mm. it's much more isolated. Okay. Like you have like a, like a wide, empty, dark street with like maybe one street light and one car where those lights are like completely blown out of proportion, yeah, but the exactly. rest of the image is like nice and flat and dark. Mm-hmm. But, that I, that I quite enjoy. Between bokeh and lens flare, I'd pick lens flare any day of the week. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's so much cooler. And even one thing I always find fun was like in the fifties and into the sixties and well, any time before that, you'd always have your camera and you'd have all these blockers on so that you didn't have any lens leaks or any light coming into the lens to make it like a flat or not flat, but a, a clean image without any light leaks or any streaks or anything. Right. Like, that's the nicest part. Sometimes it ma- makes it more dynamic. You have some naturalism, you have some real in it, you know, you get some lights and this and that little flashes, little anything, you know, it, yeah. I, think, I think it adds to the, uh, the overall kind of realism of the picture. And I, I, I agree. Kind of yeah. I think for, for a long time in cinema, people felt like that gave away the fact that there was a camera involved. Yeah. And it was like almost like breaking the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. But I definitely agree that it, it kind of adds to the realism of the film because at this point we know we're watching a movie. We've accepted yeah. already that there's a camera the amount of movies and TV shows that have broken the fourth wall mm-hmm. as a general audience, we're kind of over that secrecy. We don't need to be tricked into thinking there's no camera involved. We know there is. And I've never, so when, when the camera acknowledges its own presence and embraces those lens flares, embraces those exterior lights, like you said, it definitely adds to the realism. And like, I, I've never been shocked going, what the fuck? I'm halfway through a movie. I yeah. Oh, yeah. It or something like you know you're watching a movie. You you know how you know what the artifice is. You know how it's made. Yeah. Exactly. Enjoy it. Don't don't BS me, camera guy. Yeah. Definitely. I know. And like so so many films have like embraced aspects of found footage films mm-hmm. that got so popular like a decade ago or two. Yeah. So like even even then like you'll see cameras switch from steady cam to handheld out of nowhere. 
mm-hmm. just because that aesthetic works better for the scene. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with switching up style between scenes, but it's so played, you know? Yeah. It's like the bokeh. It's okay. Well, you can shake the camera around, keep doing it. But I mean, everything in moderation. Yeah. Have you seen Knives Out? No, no, I haven't seen it. I think it's directed by Ryan Johnson, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And there's this one shot where a large group of people are exiting the mansion. Mm-hmm. And according to Ryan Johnson, during that shot, the steady cam breaks. So you can literally tell the camera is being unmounted from the steady cam. Mm-hmm. And they switch to handheld. And then they like walk into the main character and follow her with a with a handheld cam instead of a steady cam. Okay. But that mistake is timed so perfectly with the acceleration of action and tension in the scene. Mm-hmm. It's so seamless and it works so well. It's actually a really cool shot. When it works, it works fantastic. Yeah, definitely. That's the, uh, the ecstatic kind of uh, in the moment creation kind of stuff. Yeah, that's the fucking hurt dog method, right? You got it. Show up and fucking shoot whenever you shoot. And sometimes it works out. Sometimes you get gold and sometimes you get uh, peanuts. <laughs> um, speaking of Herzog, there's a, uh, I don't know if I told you about this. There's a, a new movie that he just released, but on Mubi. Oh, yeah. And it's, uh, I think it's called Family Romance LLC. Interesting. And I think it's up for a month for free. Oh, cool. I'm, I'll check that out. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what it's yeah. like. I think it's somewhere in Asia where it's this company that if you want to pose for family photos or something and you don't have a date, someone comes up and is your date. And it's just a documentary about this strange thing. Okay. Weird company. I think that's what it is. Yeah. From the trailer that I watched two weeks ago that I half remember. (laughs) But uh, definitely weird. Yeah. I was out of town when it, like premiered, but uh, he did a live like Q and A on Mubi, like Zoom or something. After. Yeah, you posted that on our Instagram that he was yeah. doing that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was. Uh, I would have. I would have uh, liked to see that, but uh, didn't have the old Wi Fi with me. Mm. Yeah, I, that's unfortunate. I think the only movie I've seen with LLC in the title yeah. is Hell House LLC. Okay. There's like, I think it's a trilogy. I've seen one and two out of three. Yeah. Uh, that's like a found footage horror about like a haunted house that ends up being like a portal to hell or some shit. Okay. Um, the first one was good. The second one was bad. Yeah. From what I've heard, the third one is supposed to be better. So okay. um, I'll watch it soon and we'll see. But uh, for now, it's downhill for sure. Well, th- that happens often though. It's either like <laughs> yeah. the first one's awesome and then off the coattails, the second one sucks. And then everyone who went to see the, the first one goes, oh, fuck, the second one better be good. So they go, oh, we better make a third one. And that's yeah. just dog shit. Or the first one's good, the second one's terrible. And then the third one, they go, fuck, we fucked up the second one. They make it better. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the general consensus for, I think, Lord of the Rings, right? Most people agree the second is the weakest and the third is one of the strongest. Yeah, but saying that, I think the uh, what's it called, the extended one of uh, right, yeah, the extended edition. Yeah, that one, that one's pretty fucking good. Oh yeah, definitely. I think if if you're gonna watch Lord of the Rings, 
mm-hmm. you definitely should commit for the extended editions. Anything else is like a waste of time. Some shots I find drag and stuff. There's a bit too much spiegel oh. kind of stuff I would okay. not go into. But I mean, the more uh, the more Saruman in the movie, the better. Yeah, that's uh, I I can I think everyone can agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Did you hear his metal album? Sauron? Saruman? Name, uh, yeah, Saruman um, Lee uh, something. Right, Christopher Lee? Christopher Lee, yeah. He, he has he, a metal album? The yeah, actor? Yeah, but it's like it's like power metal kind of thing. Okay. And it's like the story of uh, Charlemagne, the uh, Holy Roman Emperor. Yeah. Is he supposed to be related to him somehow? Interesting. Um, it's some like concept album, uh, power medley, like, you know, the kind of like German style, yeah, yeah, yeah. Album, like big and, uh, operatic, big, uh, what's it called? Yeah. Theatrical. Uh, yeah. yeah. Nice and fast. Yeah. It's, it's nothing yeah. like, it's not brutal, but it's fun enough. Okay. But I mean, I'm, I'm not that surprised. The amount of fucking metal bands that Lord of the Rings have inspired. Oh, probably countless. Oh, it's insane. Yeah. Yeah, insane. That's funny, that connection between, like, that kind of fantasy and whatever kind of metal. Yeah, it is interesting. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Do you have more uh, notes on the uh, the old Blue Velvet? On Blue Velvet, I think we pretty much covered everything. Mm-hmm. I could go... Like, I could probably go more into detail about some things, but at this point, I would just be, like, rehashing old points. Okay. Um, I think we pretty much covered the bases. Move into reviews. I'd be down for some letterbox time. Yeah. Um, Let's check it out. This one, I imagine would have the same thing that a few of our movies have had recently where it's a lot of, uh, five on five Lynch rules. Yeah. I think that might be the consensus. Oh, what's that? 4.1. Hide your password link. 4.1, 4.1, yeah, no worries. Model of Films, follow us on Letterboxd. Mm-hmm. 4.1, we have not rated it yet. This is my review. Three and a half stars was my initial review. A little underwhelming. <laughs> not at my desk and see if that changes. <laughs> and you know what? It did change something. Oh, better. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I like certain movies. Mm-hmm. Benefit from me watching them here at my desk. Okay. But uh, I feel like this one benefits from the immersion of watching it on a big screen, for sure. This is fun. They, they, I like that. I get sucked into this one, though. Like, yeah. When I start, I go, fuck, it's already an hour. But then at an hour 15, <laughs> you're like, holy fuck, it's only an hour 15? Yeah, that actually makes sense. <laughs> like, for 15 minutes, I'm loving it. But then it's too long. Yeah. All right, let's check... Sort by lowest first. Let's hit some. Huh? Uh. Question mark? That's a good one. <laughs> nice and simple. Yeah. Makes sense. Oh, here's one. There you go. Let's go. Some of the worst acting I have ever seen. Well. I had to force myself to sit through this one, but it was utterly terrible. It felt amateur-ish. I've never seen Laura Dern act so badly, and Rosalini was the worst thing I've ever seen on screen. The fact that this got an Oscar nom horrifies me. 
really open to people sending me reviews and think pieces on why this is so well respected, even now, as I couldn't believe what I was watching. <laughs> well, I mean, that's fun because uh, I guess, uh, who is this? Claire. Claire. I guess she hasn't watched uh, Wild at Heart because the acting in that is uh, very interesting. Her favorite frame is Legally Blonde, La La Land, and Moulin Rouge. Rouge. Moulin Rouge might be the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> then we, we even out. Yeah, these definitely aren't... The, there are a lot of movies in the contemporary meta that are Lynch-esque. None of these are Lynch-esque. No, these are... So that makes sense. You seem nonsense. Oak, what'd you say for Interstellar? Three and a half. Three and a half, yeah. I can handle the truth. It contains spoilers, so... Uh, They've hidden it from us. Yeah, I mean, she gave Dunkirk two stars. I haven't seen it, but that seems controversial. I don't know. I kind of agree with that one. I wasn't really a big fan of Dunkirk. Oh, yeah? All right. Well, it's like... When you have this subject matter like that, like yeah. you had a world war two, it's supposed to be an epic thing, a, a giant narrative. And there's no stories at all, but it's more like a day in the life of everybody during this one day okay. battle kind of thing. The images are nice. The, uh, there's a few really nice pictures in it. The, uh, What's his name? Uh, Bane's plane burning is nice. And then there's one where uh, the kid's running down the street and there's all these propaganda posters falling down. Okay. Those are nice. But Wait, you said like, Bane? Yeah, I forget his name. Tom Hardy? Tom Hardy, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, I, yeah. Five okay. ten, maybe. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. But... <laughs> David Lynch <laughs> oh, okay. yeah I thought we were still on Claire's things so I was like no no Claire's up here place yeah I mean fucking Layla says this is the worst movie she's ever watched I'm not sure about that Lindsay Seddon what the fuck was that Camilla hated it hated it here read the, read, go ahead and read this one Nick you got this this is the first time in 32 episodes I've ever read a review Hey, wow. power of technology. This is fun. This is by Miss Yonka <laughs> from a month ago. Or not even, maybe, uh, oh no, March, April, May, June. Yeah, a few months ago. A few months ago. I, I wanted to like this, but honestly, the music made it so over-the-top cheesy and outlandish. I couldn't believe in anyone's caricature of their character whatsoever and did not enjoy any of the violence except for the end of the Yellow Man, lol. Yellow Man's pretty funny. Yellow or, Man is a good bit. Or even the random-ass silliness. It was like he was learning how to make Twin Peaks by making this film. Close enough. You did say you did mention something similar. I don't want to be associated with Miss Yonka. That's fine. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm going to give him one more chance with Mulholland Drive, but my expectations are now extremely low. Mulholland Drive is not as good as this movie. Regrettably, oh. I am probably the only one unfortunate enough to not get Lynch. But if this is if this is his so-called masterpiece, then I'm good. Yeah, I think at least uh, she's well aware that she does not get <laughs> Lynch. That's yeah. fine. You know, not many people do apparently. Is it? 
Is it possible to see if she watched Mulholland Drive? I would love to see a review of that. Yeah, too. we definitely could see that. I just want to mention first, the music being over the top and cheesy, making it outlandish. That's the point. I, f- I felt like it, it added to the satire. Yeah. The well, whole point of making the music over the top and cheesy mm-hmm. was to add to the just hyperbole of the entire movie, right? They're exaggerating the whole crime scene. They're exaggerating the whole American dream. Yeah. It's all about exaggeration as a point to break down those predisposed opinions about those aspects of American life. Well, we see the same thing in Eraserhead, too, with the In Heaven song. Right. Just completely unexpected, out of the blue, over the top, but it's the best part in the movie. Or yeah. a good scene in the movie. Hey, Neon Genesis Evangelion? Oh, there you go. You love her now, Lee. Well, no. And and Dogtooth, Antichrist, Shivers. Mm. Well, oh she gave Shivers God. a bad review, so. Never mind. Dogtooth, too. Two and a half. Isn't that great? I quite like Dogtooth. I liked it a lot. Antichrist, three and a half. Makes sense. Shivers, her review, one and a half stars. I can't handle body horror without rape. Or can't have body horror without rape. One and a half stars. This, uh, okay. I guess she's a little sensitive to that. Well, I mean. Oh, Diary, Mulholland Drive. She watched it. Oh my the day God. after she watched it. <laughs> Here it is. Coming immediately from Blue Velvet is G- <laughs> <I don't laughs> Coming immediately from Blue Velvet to this. Geez, the difference is shocking. This is a well-executed, surprisingly structured film. Enjoyed all the twists and turns. Still have some lingering questions, but it adds to the surrealism. This actually felt like a real dream slash DMT trip before you die. Wow. Three and a half stars. So, I mean, she's bonkers, though. She's... Well, we'll see. We're, we yeah, got we'll see. Drive soon. We're going to see what she That's said. That's it, you know? But I might end up agreeing with her, dude. Who keep knows? In, keep in mind, though, she says structured film. That's, that is interesting because from what I've heard about Mulholland Drive, it is the exact opposite of structured. The 180-degree yeah. opposite. Um, so that is interesting. Interesting review, Miss Yonka. We'll give you a, a... We'll tag you in the video. <laughs> <laughs> um, I never thought this was going to be a movie for me, and I wasn't wrong. It is just a bit too out there and dark and twisty to be something I can enjoy. Hmm. That's subjective. Fine, yeah. whatever. Do not right? like Will Rewatch one day. <laughs> That's good, yeah. Did not like Real Rewatch. At least there's a chance. Give it a chance. Honestly, that's kind of, I, I kind of feel this person. When I don't like a movie, I usually, I'm like, oh, we'll see. Maybe in a few years, it'll, something new will happen. You'll feel, yeah. oh, maybe uh, <laughs> half a star, no thanks from Gia. Oh, man. And it, fucking Miles Burrell definitely disagrees. He says, this is absolutely terrible. What mm. a waste of two hours that was. Do not bother. It tries to dress itself up as a neo-noir type, but it's just a complete boring mess. It is boring at parts, but I agree. I mean, it's supposed to be dressing itself up as a neo-noir. It's not right. a neo-noir. It's, yeah. Anyway, we've it's covered it. Cri- it's critical of neo-noir. Yeah. It's, yeah. Pl- it's playing the part to, uh, to fuck with your expectations. 
Nelson Chubby. Of all the people, I thought Nelson Chubby would love this one. <laughs> oh, yeah. You <laughs> thought Nelson Chubby, Nelson the person Chubby. whose favorite film is Godzilla Raids Again and The Incredibles, would appreciate, of all things, Blue Velvet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's watching Zatoichi. That's cool. Yeah, at Blue least. Swordsman. Get Smart, two stars. That seems right. Snatch, four and a half. Yeah, Snatch is a good movie. I like Snatch. All right, let's check his review. Blue Velvet is one of those films that doesn't live up to the hype. Personally, I didn't enjoy it that much and felt the symbolism to be too disjointed, sadly. The color palette, soundtrack, and violence are the only thing that make it memorable for me, sadly. The gunshot wound to the head was the most realistic I have ever seen, which is why I've given it the rating that I have. Okay, you give it one star. That's not high praise. Maybe upon further inspection, my rating may grow, but we shall see. I would usually tell you to see the film that I've reviewed, but this time instead, I'm telling you to watch Twin Peaks Season 3, because that's Lynch at his best. Only watch this if you want to be familiar with his whole portfolio. I really wanted to like this. Well, Chubby, I think he's got a few things backwards. Yeah? Go for it. Break it down. Portfolio. It's an oeuvre. <laughs> <laughs> what an asshole. <laughs> Fuck, that was pretentious. <laughs> hey, man, I'm not pretending. Yeah, you know what you're talking about. It's true. <laughs> but I mean, what does he say here? The color palette, soundtrack, and violence are the only things that make it memorable for mm-hmm. me. So the main part of the movie. Yeah, I think the palette is pretty. But to be honest, it's not that striking to me. It's, yeah, it's more atmosphere, though. It goes with yeah. the tone of everything, the wood, the grain. Yeah. The- even, even the soundtrack, the soundtrack is like, it's, almost, it's perfect. The soundtrack is amazing, but yeah. if you don't focus on it, you don't notice it, and that's what makes it so good, I find. Mm-hmm. I love the music in this. Yeah, but it just, I find it, it it's just subtle enough to influence your perception of the film without mm-hmm. making you straight up notice the soundtrack. Almost the opposite of Eraserhead then where he wants you to hear the ambient and go, what right. the hell is this yeah. weird drone going on the whole time? And I, I think I, I even wrote this down. The only time Lynch does that in this movie mm-hmm. where he, he does that jarring audio engineering is when you enter and exit the ear. Mm-hmm. He does that same like whooshy, airy reverb sound again. Yeah. I think yeah. that we're going to the ground too and see all the insects. I think yeah, it's probably overwhelming kind of sound. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're right. What does this say for half a star from Miko Reyes? Just because you put the accent in garbage doesn't make it not garbage. Obviously, I think you're supposed to say this as garbage. Oh, uh, oh, I didn't see that. Just yeah. because you put the accent in garbage doesn't make it not garbage. I don't understand. Obtuse. Well, Michael Rays, I think you're obtuse. Okay, Boogie Nights is good. I've heard good things about Yee Yee. Yeah, me too, actually. I don't know the other two. I mean, these are all kind of like uh, film school movies, though. Yeah, well, he also has, uh, what do you give Life of Pi? Three and a half stars? Three and a half. It's probably average. Mm, yeah. A bit of a dork, though, if he puts three and a half stars on Life of Pi. <laughs> I just love tigers and water. 
<laughs> oh, little Dieter needs to fly. Oh, let's see what he says. Very good. that. Three? Okay. Fair enough. Little, little Dieter, Dieter needs to fly. Big Dieter is a cool guy. Medium Dieter is a sexy, sexy man. My God. Okay. This Terrible guy, review. Yeah, this guy stinks. Terrible review. This guy is not good. All right. Fuck that guy. Uh, you want to hit some good ones or you want to read one more bad one? Oh, I think uh, if you want to scroll up one second there, Lee. Scroll up? Yeah, right there. I think Ariel Toffler is from our uh, YouTube demographic. <laughs> I don't know. This looks oh, no, Hebrew. Wait, that's Hebrew. Oh, never that's mind. Hebrew for sure. <laughs> it's small on my screen, okay? <laughs> <laughs> never mind. Uh, what, are you, what are you thinking? Uh, hit some good ones or do you want to read one more? I kind of want to know what that Hebrew is. That, that might be the last one if you want to just do a quick Google Translate on that. Google yeah. Translate. Search Google. Translate into English. Let's see. I'm exposing all my bookmarks here. What do you have? Virtual piano? What is... I don't know how to use this site. Just awful. Just terrible. Just really just horrible. Just It's terrible. Simply awful. I mean, dude didn't like it. Yeah. I guess I, that's I, it. Yeah, I guess that's uh, that's it. Yeah. So Just uh, terrible. On to the uh, good ones. Already, yeah, I'd like to see what this person likes. I don't think I've ever heard of any of these. Favorite films? Don't know them. Oh, Days of Heaven. That's uh, Terrence Malick. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Well, it's favorite film? It's pretty. It's got, um, what's his name? Uh, that composer, Ennio Morricone. Okay. He's on it. That's funny. He just died the other day. Yeah, I heard that. Actually, I, I've, seen, I've been seeing that on Twitter. Yeah, I think last week. Yeah. Yeah. Days of Heaven is really pretty, though. That's like every single shot in the movie is shot at like either sunrise or sunset, like perfect twilight. Mm -hmm. so like a golden hour. Yeah, but like just purple backgrounds. And it's like, I believe it's, um, what's it called? Um, like the Dust Bowl. Um, okay. Depression times. Yeah. Okay. And it's like a dude going around trying to find work and he ends up on this farm as a worker. And uh, that's a nice one. Interesting. Afterwards, I don't think Terrence Malick made a movie for 30 years or 20 years after. Oh, really? Yeah. The story, That's even more interesting. Yeah, the story is that he, he's never done an interview or anything. No pictures of him at all. Nothing. Damn. Written. And I, I think the story is that after he made Days of Heaven, he ran away to Europe to go to Paris and be a hairdresser. And he cut hair for 20 years and then came back and made, um, I believe, The New World, which I hated so much when I first saw it. But now I, I love it. That's fucking weird. Yeah, he's an interesting character. That is very, very weird. Hit some five stars now? I think so. It's too bad that all these things dot, dot, dot. What a terrible quote. You don't even finish it. One of Lynch's most straightforward plots holds some of his most emotionally vulnerable ideas particularly on identity, duality, and pursuit of pleasure, and iron-gripped direction, that he'd go on to surpass a work this affecting and accomplished four times is almost unbelievable. So this is 
very good, but still not his best because Twin Peaks, Mulholland Drive is better. He says four times, but he lists not four things. The Return, I've never heard of. I don't know what that is. Uh, Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me, I assumed he means the movie yeah. Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me. Oh, he might he mean not... the TV show and then the movie. The movie. Huh. Not sure. You ever heard of the chicken walk? Five oh, that, <laughs> that, that was ridiculous. That, <laughs> that yeah, was so that, funny. Yeah, that is a bit silly. Give that a like. That is a nice one. Let's fuck. Yeah. Eat anything that moves. That's not what he says. Dennis Hooper. Bad review. That is a bad one. See how long this is. Is that too long? You want to read it? While Eraserhead is such a fully fleshed out cinematic vision, Blue Velvet is when Lynch really begins to pick up all the later motifs and lighting cues and place them in his movies. The red theatrical curtains, the unmotivated blue lighting, lights brightening into overexposed Americana jazz and strange musical moments. After the failure of Dune, Lynch made something that was purely him and Blue Velvet is that. It serves as this middle ground between Lynch's American daily... It's pretty much what what we've been saying. Yeah. Characters react to mutilated bodies. Yeah, no shit. Jeffrey's fascinated main character and destroys lives around him. Well, yada, yada, yada. This is Lynch's most formative movie and also most likely his most accessible as the middle ground between dream and reality is perfectly hit while also being a very interesting commentary on Reagan America, the American dream. That's what we talked about. Blue Velvet is something to really be experienced. I think this is an interesting statement that this is Lynch's most formative movie and also most likely his most accessible. I probably agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I've only seen this in Eraserhead. This mm-hmm. is definitely more accessible than Eraserhead. Yeah. Um, but most formative? Well, th- this is where he kind of, he tells like the Hollywood kind of go, I can't make those stories. They don't turn out well. I'm going to do my own kind of thing. Okay. You're going to see when we get to like, lost highway and stuff you're gonna go oh okay i can kind of see how these all kind of tie together and make this kind of such a a unique singular thing okay that makes sense not sure what's funnier someone i know calling tongue-tied group love best friend's house or dennis hopper calling in dreams by roy orbison candy colored clown that's what i was saying yeah what did i say golden clown Something like that. I don't, I know the song tongue tied by a group love. I don't get the whole best friend's house reference. I, I think he's saying like his buddy said the wrong name of the song and Dennis Hopper does it too. All right, Tyler. Good for you. Yeah. That's a fun little a bit into Tyler's life. <laughs> David Lynch making a sexually violent jab at the illusion of a peaceful life in little America towns, starring Kyle McLaughlin Dennis Hopper, what's not to adore? That's a bad review. Yeah, not very good. No. Um, I'm not sure that's how you spell McLaughlin. Oh, yeah? I got him on uh, Instagram. Give me uh, one moment here. I can definitely check on screen as well. Oh, that's true. Let's do that. Cast, Kyle McLaughlin. It is right. It is right. Looks right to me. All right, well... Kyle McLaughlin, where was that review? Yeah, looks right. 
Did you see uh, that? No, there's, an, there's one H too many. All right. I'm right there. Yeah. That shouldn't be there. Do you see the review underneath? Huh? Kyle's so hot. Laura, so pretty. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> That's a fun review. It's been a day and I cannot get this movie out of my mind. It's so amazing in every single way. Of course, there's some moments where I got really uncomfortable, which I think could be the point. But mm-hmm. 10 out of 10, I would definitely and most likely will watch again. Well, at least Google Translate works kind of well. <laughs> How come the fucking lady writing in Hebrew didn't do the Google Translate for us? Say was the apple. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, there she is again. <laughs> the same in a row. That's interesting. Not bad. Might as well copy paste it while she's at it. I'm absolutely amazed at how amazing this movie is. No sense on a literal level, but complete sense on an emotional level. I think it made a lot of sense, literally. Yeah, it's just a normal kind of story. A bit over yeah. the top. The, the only time the story ever breaks from a linear narrative mm-hmm. is when Jeffrey tells Laura Dern's character about his experiences retrospectively yeah. investigating. But even then, it, it's so incredibly easy to follow. It's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. You, you shouldn't be lost in this movie at all. Yeah, definitely not. And I just uh, checked. Laura Dern's character is called Sandy. There you go. There you go. We've been calling her Laura Dern this entire podcast. The character is Sandy. This is Laura Dern's best performance until like 2015, though. Yeah, I don't know much about... She was in Marriage Story, Little Woman. Yeah, that's the about the only two movies I know her from. Um, Jurassic Park? Yeah, I don't remember that movie. Um, what's the one I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of... Uh, oh, what's the hell? Is Inland it Empire. Yeah. That's Cronenberg, isn't it? I think that might also be Lynch. Oh, it is. You're right. Are we yeah. doing that? I haven't seen that one. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't mind though. It seems like it's got his regular actors in it, just from the two on screen there. Okay, I can't exit this tab. So, um, yeah, the one the movie I was thinking was Certain Women. That one, she's a very good actress in it. But everything else I've ever seen her in, she ain't. Okay. Yeah, I mean, she was all right in Marriage Story. I didn't like her character. Okay. But she she was she acted well enough. Yeah. Little Woman. She has a pretty small role compared to most of the women in the movie so it's it's hard to compare her but she did very well as well yeah yeah everything else i couldn't really pin her in even the master i've seen i don't remember her being in it i don't remember her being in that either that's my favorite uh pta anderson film isn't that uh oh it is pta i don't remember her at all in that yeah she plays helen I remember Amy Adams. I do not remember Laura Dern. Joaquin Phoenix, gotta love him. Yeah, he's good in this one. Um, yeah, the good reviews, I think, on most of Lynch's movies we'll find will just be praising Lynch in general. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. those are the people who get it. Right, yeah. But we all know that the only people who really get Lynch are us and our audience, and that's it. Well, maybe not even the audience. We don't know yet. <laughs> Another yeah. all-time favorite, one of David Lynch's most accessible films, in a way, love precursor to Twin Peaks. Yeah, yada, yada, yada. It's all the same. Yeah, pretty much. All right. Well, what's our official review then? Um, 
Hmm. One thing I got to say before we head on okay. is the very first shot in the movie, the blue velvet kind of waving screen. I yeah. really don't like the uh, credits on this. Really? I find, I like the, the font, the fading in and everything. Very nice. But it's the opacity of the, the text itself. It's so like 50%. Yeah. I would have gone 75, 80. 70% opaque or 70% harsh? I, I want it a little more white in there. Yeah, I can agree with that. I honestly might have gone just 100%, no opacity whatsoever. That would have been, yeah. I would have liked that as well. Yeah. But, uh, other than that, I like the movie. <laughs> well, I mean, if that's your only criticism, that speaks well of the movie in and of itself, right? Mm-hmm. For uh, for me, I'm going to give it an 8 on 10. 8 on 10. Yeah. I quite like this movie. I like Dennis Hopper. I'm biased, as we know. Right, of course. But, uh, yeah, it's a very fun movie. I mean, it it, it doesn't really pull the punches, but it, uh, it kind of it gives you the excess you want. An eight on ten, eh? That's what I'm giving. I'm giving a healthy eight. I like this one. I think I'd honestly give it a six. Oh yeah, yeah. I really. I mean, I said this at the beginning of the episode: the pacing, the timing, the structure. Yeah. It's just mm. doesn't do it for me. I can't help but get bored watching it, yeah. and I can't help but feel, especially compared to Eraserhead, mm-hmm. it's just too obvious. You know, now that you said this, I was not keeping in mind. I was blinded by Hopper there What you're, when I was giving my review. Two hours long and the ending sucks. I'll drop it to a seven and a half. Okay. So even out at like six, six and three quarters, let's round it up to seven. Exact same average, but I feel better about myself. There you go. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so seven on 10 for Lynch's. Mm-hmm. Uh, second movie as far as we're concerned because yeah. everything else he did in between Eraserhead and this doesn't count yeah I don't even think he counts it though yeah to be honest he might count Elephant Man because it kind of put him more on the map yeah but definitely but, not Dune oh Dune for sure he he disregards entirely yeah yeah for sure Elephant Man that's just that's straightforward that's it like I don't know if these people in the reviews would even think that Elephant Man would be a Lynch film because they're saying this is the most accessible. That's a straightforward Hollywood blockbuster yeah. movie. Yeah, it's true. But I, I think it's kind of like almost well known at this point that mm-hmm. Elephant Man just doesn't count, just like Dune. Yeah. I think most people who understand the industry or whatever just mm-hmm. kind of ignore those. I don't know. I would agree with those industry people. Right. Yeah. Well, that's a, a fun one though. Are you, uh, are you looking forward to more Lynch or are you getting tired of them? Oh, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward. If anything, this movie being underwhelming has hyped me up for what's to come way more. Well, what's next? Wild at heart. Wild at heart is next. I've been waiting probably four years to watch this movie again. I am very excited to watch wild at heart. I cannot wait. 
now do we do we want to jump right into it or do we want to buffer in between with something else i'm not bothered okay we have we'll, a few on we'll the leave that surprise. as a surprise yeah yeah we'll talk about that off camera we'll let that we'll leave that as a surprise for the audience but i think definitely wild at heart will be coming up in the near future yeah well another fun one lee yeah definitely Thanks for fucking joining me once again. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, and thanks to the audience for listening. You can email us at monolithfilmclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at the monolith film pod, as well as Twitter, the same handle. Mm-hmm. You can find uh, Nick and I's personal Instagram accounts through the monolith one. So feel free to follow us there. Um, movie requests, movie analysis movie anything <laughs> yeah that's the plural right that's the proper form so if we're talking latin right exactly i speak the king's english <laughs> <laughs> i don't know just shoot us an email is my point right sounds good yeah um we had we had a request for someone to translate our youtube videos into french yeah so if you feel like doing that Hit us up. Send an email. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Because I'm, I'm not. Gonna, are you going to do it? I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. Uh, going through an hour and a half podcast, transcribing every single line, and then timing it in to. Yeah. The, I don't like time codes. I can barely stand the sound of my own voice, so I don't know I how I would do that. At 10 p.m. I'm dyslexic in one eye. <laughs> All right. Well. We'll, we'll fucking see you guys next time. Watch some movies in the meantime. Watch fucking Blue Velvet. Yeah. Watch the podcast. Rate us on iTunes. Apparently that helps. I don't know how shit works. Mm-hmm. Give us a like everywhere else. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, this is the first time we're doing video, so let us know if you like it. We'll see if it works. We'll see if it works. If it does, let us know. If it doesn't, tell us to eat shit. And we'll see you next time. As long as you don't say eat shit and die, I'm happy. There you go. <laughs> Peace.